The following podcast is brought to you by Filmora 13. You can directly support the channel by downloading Filmora 13 for either desktop or mobile at the links below. And you can also support the channel by going to cdkeyoffer.com and using offer code BROKENSILICON to save 25% on all Microsoft software. And we'll talk about these sponsors more later. But for now, let's just get on with the show. And welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom. And today I'm, for the most part, just going to jump right into this one because this guest, I believe this will be the fifth time he's come on. Um, I actually looked, the first episode you were on to my memory was the 59th episode. So like just just after <laughs> we had been, or I had been doing this a year. And so you're one of the people who's almost been around since the beginning, and it's always been a pleasure. But you know, it's the fifth time. Please, for those who have not heard of you or heard an episode with you on before, tell people who you are, what you do professionally, and, and why you got into having the YouTube channel and the work with IGN that you do. Thanks, Tom. Uh, Jesus, five times. Really? I can't believe that. That's a lot. I didn't realize that myself. Um, yeah, so I'm a, I'm a, a software hardware engineer. I've been for far too many years now. So I do a lot of work in um, public sector, private sector, worked with a lot of big companies for uh, e-commerce, shipping, warehouse, EPOD, that kind of stuff. So I've done a lot of cloud-based solutions, complex transformation deliveries. A lot of what I did was was hardware network software, kind of software development. So a lot of uh, Oracle, SQL connections, and then moving into cloud-based solutions, hybrid solutions. So that's what I do as a full-time job. I don't do as much actual programming now. I do a lot of complex transformations and manage teams. So I'm a bit more senior, which is a bit boring, but that just that's what happens, unfortunately. The older you get, you just kind of move up the stack. Um, but I still like getting my hands dirty where possible. Um, side gigs, I've had many, but I did start to run a small YouTube channel, uh, 2013. So I focus mostly on games, visuals, and hardware technology, um, both new and old, because I've obviously been into this stuff for years. And also, as you say, I do IGN performance reviews as well. So that's kind of a side gig that I did just because of what I did for my channel. So obviously no one can call me lazy. <laughs> I'm a very busy guy, far too busy, far too often. That's just the way I'm wired, I guess. But um, I always like to have something going on at all times. So the reason I started the channel um, really was because uh, I've always liked technology. And I, I, at the time, there was a lot of noise and kind of stuff online that I'd just seen when my son showed me about people getting confused with, I think it was Watchdogs was the reason I did one, the, the downgrade. Oh, that started a ton of conversations, you yeah. know, about like that, that became really, I think it was to my memory, one of the biggest ones was like Killzone 2, like will this actually look like this in practice and the debates over, which I think, you know, long story short, it ended up from the original, you know, uh, not gameplay kills into reveal. Like half, some of it looked better. Some of it looked worse in that reveal. Like the facial expressions look significantly better than the original laughable one that they put together. And watchdogs was those ones as well, where everyone was like, well, why does the game 
look different. Execs get carried away with trying to sell the, the moon on a They stick. might hear a little bit what they wanted to hear, right? They hear you say one thing, take it to mean the best case scenario. And then they're like, we got to tell everybody because this is perfect, basically, oh, yeah, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And salespeople just want to sell. So they get excited, they get buzzed. So um, yeah, they're, they're two very infamous downgrades, as you say, they were legendary. Yeah. You know, I uh, worked for an automotive company and uh, like a sales engineering role. And one thing that I think you, I at least got better at over time is actually knowing if you're in sales, you're probably in it, especially if you've been in it for a while, it's probably because you're good at getting people to agree (laughs) with you. So Mm. you have to know when you're getting like, we take taken an order for this part for a car. We want to supply it to a company. And I'm going to the engineers like we can do this right. They they want to tell me they can, and and they probably can. But when they say when I say to them, do you think we could get this done in eight weeks? I have to know when we can't. <laughs> you yeah. know, you have to, you have to know how to translate like internally what they're telling you. Can they actually get it done by then? And then balance that with like selling it to the people you're trying to win a contract from. Balance that with actually having the people internally be accurate. You know what I mean? Because they're going to say yes. They think it's going to make the company money, but you need to know when it's actually possible, you know, half the time. Yeah, setting expectations is is a very important part. I mean, I'm very good. I'm old now, so I'm very good at going, no, it's not going to happen. It's going to be six months. That's realistic. I'm I'm quite good. But the younger you are and the kind of more mm-hmm. eager you are to please, the, it's, a, it's a common IT problem. I fall into that trap many years ago. You overpromise and underdeliver. You do the whole... I can do this in two weeks and you realize you can't and you've already sold yourself down the river. So if you've got a whole chain of sales doing that to you. You're in a very sticky wicket. So we've all been there. We've all done that. Well, so that gets us into actually the first subject I had here to talk with you about, um, which is Starfield. I remember the last time you were on, which was, was I think it was actually almost exactly a year ago, which is funny. Um, you told me that you had seen an early version of Starfield and it didn't it didn't look like it was running that well. And you know, it's funny seeing it come out now and all of the controversy and we can get into it if you want, like what I've heard about why there was so much controversy. I think there was a lot of outside, you know, um desire to get it to portray be portrayed in a certain light from towards some companies and like the way some of these companies try to pitch narratives against each other, I think played into fueling extra controversy, but you know, I, I'm curious how you feel about how Starfield was in its a uh, launch state based on what you told us a year ago, and then just how it evolved and how the narrative. I'm 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 am curious how you feel about like all of the fanboy arguments over why it didn't perform well on some systems on PC at launch as well. I don't know. I, th- I think it's <laughs> the problem was it's Bethesda. It's a big game, big expectations, and, and as you said quite rightly, it was bigged up massively by Bethesda and Microsoft directly, and that that's a big ask when you're when you're going up against something as. And I love I love the, the game that it really does mimic a hell of a lot, No Man's Sky, and it it in terms of of quality of assets and materials and everything else, yeah, it's much better than that. Of course, it is. But it, it was going after that whole procedural, huge landscapes, loads of planets, travel through space, you know, the elite that I, I played as a kid at school. And it, that it just didn't achieve any of those things. And, and that's, again, this is back to sales. It's exactly as you said, it's the same thing. It's, it, it, you know, t- he's, uh, what's his name? The guy that runs it. Oh. 
old liar, 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 pants on fire. I can't remember his name now. The, the guy that runs Bethesda, he just constantly does. He's a he's a cracking salesman in terms of everything's amazing, everything's brilliant, everything's the most incredible thing. Todd ever. Howard. Tom, that's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had to find it because I knew I, the face came into my head, and yeah, I wanted to make Tom sure we Howard, got it. Yeah, with the classic. See that mountain? You can go there. See that moon? You can. It's like, oh my god, man! It was came another meme, and I think it's just those expectations were just generally really, really high. And the game itself just was typical Bethesda in terms of. In fact, it was even worse, I think, in typical Bethesda because it didn't have usually what they're good at, which is loads of content that draws you Mm. in with dynamic action, dynamic combat, um, lots of statistics. All those things were gone. Starfield was quite bare bones, I think, for a Bethesda game, and it didn't feel like it had anywhere near the gestation that they said it had. And like you said, performance was just not very good. A 30 FPS title... uh, On on your you know super duper twelve teraflop Series X, my their words, not mine. It mm-hmm. just it all kind of fell apart against their own narrative, and that and that's again that's because Microsoft generally or Xbox generally have this this disconnect between all their different studios. They don't manage them. I know Bethesda were kind of brought in halfway through that development into Microsoft, but they could have got their house in order um, up until the launch of the of the console, the game itself. And then there was that interview, wasn't there? Which was a, it, it was a bit cutthroat the interviewer, but he was proven right, as we all said at the time. I said it on my review on IGN. It wasn't optimized it was not optimized it runs better now on series x and series s and it runs better on it, it runs better now on everything yeah. yeah yeah so it came in hot it came in rushed it, it desperately had to it was a year late and yet it still needed stuff and the loading i that that was my biggest issue with it just the whole game was so chunked up and that's because they're still sticking to their old technology you know the 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 Gamebryo engine or whatever it's called, Creation Engine 2, it it struggles. They don't have very good memory management, and that's what kills their games because everything chugs. And a lot of their performance issues have nothing to do with just GPU or CPU. It's just to do oh, with no. the fact that all their stuff's all over the place. And that's why going in and out of the cockpit loads, walking out the door low, go on planet load, and everything's canned, all these canned flights and animations. I, I was bitterly disappointed with the game just because I love sci-fi. I, I was really looking forward to it, and unfortunately mm. it just didn't deliver. So I think generally it was just a game that was a victim to its own hype and Bethesda's previous delivery. I think they've made some great games. Just Starfield is a good game. It's not a great one. You know, it's funny. A rumor I heard from someone who knew someone who was on the team said that they, I'm trying to remember what it was. Like, I think they said it ran in an entirely different API on PC less than a year before it was supposed to come out and then frantically reprogrammed it. And translated it for release day and that's half of the reason like it what, didn't couldn't it literally couldn't even run on intel and the nvidia stuff was delayed because it was like i think it was vulcan they said they wrote it in and then had to translate it and you know i'm wondering um when wow. i actually asked that original question as well i was wondering kind of just what you thought about the controversy of like the hit job that happened on amd over that where they said like dlss is being blocked even though now it has dlss and I remember on the time being one of the few people going, it's going to get DLSS. It just didn't at launch, barely was ready for launch. I wonder how you think about like, or maybe you avoided it, but on PC, there was this giant attack on AMD for blocking DLSS in games and like somehow AMD sabotaged the code, which shouldn't really make any sense to me. It's not to say that the game was running well, but I was always like, guys, it's a Bethesda game and it has performance issues at launch. Are we going to really blame? <laughs> the AMD sponsorship for that? I don't. I don't know. I I, I, I did hear about. I, I know about that because I, I did it on my channel. I, I talked about that and I said it would happen. You know, the the end of the day, 
sticking people, I think reconstruction techniques are not as easy as people make out. And I, th- I think some of that is, is big channels like Digital Foundry will say it, and it's not true. If you're not, if you're not a GPU programmer, you're not an artist, if you're not working in that space, it's not easy to just say, I'm going to stick TAAU in there and I'm also going to do FSR2 and DLSS2. Then they're not the mm. same thing. And you, 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 have to, you have to test for these things. You have to tweak for these things. You have to, so that's a lot more work in terms of your delivery pipe. You've got loads of, of testing you've got to add onto your process. You've got loads of artist work that you've got to work into that because different um, or samplers work in different ways. They'll have strengths and weaknesses. So therefore, you've got to tell your assets, your lighting, everything's got to change around that. So it's not as easy for a team to just stick in. It's not a case of just, just turn DLSS 2 on. And everyone will go, yeah, but mods did it. It come out within two days and there's a mod out course. But that mod's probably got... Yeah, tons of buried. issues and artifacts yeah. and problems. And, so. and I bet you any, any artist will, will, will look at mods and just laugh and go, oh my God, imagine I ship that, I'd die. But the general community, and that's the thing about shipping stuff, it's people always think about it's just a technical limitation. It rarely is. It's rare. It's most of the time it's commercials. That's the reason why things don't get put in. And that's the reason why things get pulled. So yeah, you bang on At the end of the day, AMD had nothing to do with it. They weren't, the AMD would never control the game ship and it, not a company as big as Bethesda. And certainly one that was owned by Xbox and Microsoft. It was mm. a case of Bethesda being Bethesda. They saw that they could get a re- an exclusive revenue stream because again, it's all strategic partners. So AMD would have paid them money, got marketing rights. They shipped GPUs with Starfield. So it was you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Nvidia do it all the time. The Nvidia, I said on my video, Nvidia have blocked in quotes um, games having just yeah. the LSS at the start. They don't now, and I don't think anyone blocks them generally. I think it's a case of the team have to choose, but it, it's so ubiquitous now in terms of upscale. I heard they did that with Metro Exodus, you know, yes. like that was like the last game where NVIDIA blocked, blocked FSR. Although to be clear, I think they could add FSR now. They're just choosing not to, you know, put in the effort to validate it or whatever is my understanding. Unless I, I, at least I don't have any proof. That'd be quite an allegation to say that it's in perpetuity blocked. I think that's something that really never happens. You know, it just used to happen 10 years ago. It'd be like launch day block. And NVIDIA did it a lot, actually. But like, I don't think any dev would actually ever sign something that says they could never add something eventually because it's their game, right? So, Yeah, things have a, have a finite lifespan. So when you sign a contract, most things have a, you know, it's like, it's like a timed exclusives. It's the same thing. It's just on different terms and different conditions. People sign them all the time. So, I, again, I think people just get carried away with a lot of it. I, I knew about all that one, the AMD stuff, but at the end of the day, it was a storm in a teacup like it normally is, and it's all blown over now, and no one cares. You know, and, and the last thing I'll say about this subject before we move on is, you know, Brian Heemskirk, he works um, he's, works on the team that makes Star Renegade, you know, so mm. another developer, and, and he said exactly what you said. I just want to make sure there's a second source here if anyone accuses you for like, no, it is easy to add DLSS. It is easy to flip the switch, but half the time, and, and, and Brian Hemskirk told me he knows people too who tried that and it just destroyed like how the water looked in the ocean in their yeah. game. And they'd be like, we don't have time to t- troubleshoot this right now. We'll do it. And then add DLSS support a month later. Like there really is an extra layer of QA to add any of these other features. And some of these games that just have DLSS like Metro Exodus, I don't know, maybe there was a contract with NVIDIA at first, but they never added FSR later because they're like, it works and we're done. We mm-hmm. don't want to touch it after it works. And the same thing with FSR. They're like, FSR works on every product, so we're done. We're not going to 
put time into Q&A. And I think, you know, now all of these companies are pushing so hard that they're all eventually going to get it. But anytime you see a game not added, it is because no matter which technology we're talking about, they're worried it could break something and, and not just break something because of lazy coding or whatever, but like it could, it, a lot of these upscaling algorithms and processes break the way something will be rendered. They really do sometimes. And then they have to go back and figure that out. Um, but moving forward though, back to the, uh, you know, you brought up the, they hyped up the 12 teraflops of the Xbox and then they announced their biggest game is going to run at 30 frames per second. Um, I, I, I don't know how much I actually want to spend on that, but I'm wondering like, cause I think we've talked about that before. Like, was it a mistake to make it all about the performance? But, um, I guess so. Let me skip that a little bit and just go. So what do you do? What did you feel about Starfield for like Xbox and just in general, like not just like what it said about performance, which it was their words, you know, not ours or other people that this was supposed to run everything perfectly, but also just like it didn't seem to boost Game Pass at all. And I really do feel they were hoping Starfield was the game that was going to get numbers to jump up like crazy, right? Yeah, well, exactly. But I think Game Pass and the whole Xbox strategy is a long... I've talked about this a lot. I've talked about it a lot over the years. And Xbox have kind of lost their focus, or at least if they have a focus, it's not very focused. They they always, in the past few years, have always seemed to chase the market. And that's one of my big problems with them. But they, they always go for the headlines, which is, you know, mm. the, the American muscle car motto of like it, it's got 12 it's a v8 it runs it's got 700 brake horsepower it's all that and it doesn't mean anything anyone who, who rides motorcycles drive cars knows that you know it's not about the power in the engine it helps but it's not that. and that, i think that's the thing with with hardware it's the same thing you can have lots of power but it doesn't matter if everything else is not in place if it's out of balance you haven't got very good cpu speeds you've got bad bandwidth you've got contention in the system memory allocation to series s for example is a terribly designed system and that was known at the start and they've mm. only got themselves to blame you know the marketing about it eats monsters for breakfast was that was that the xbox one x or eats monsters for breakfast that that is terrible childish marketing that creates what you see online and and you get sony fans doing the same thing you get pc fans doing the same Certainly. thing. But, but xbox are one of the first ones i think that they almost nurture it themselves by doing this they're feeding that that young mindset where if you don't know enough you'll just believe what is said and then they rush it out mm -hmm. poor quality products so you know halo infinite poor quality late thoughts of five the last one the one that came out last year was just terrible just they, they completely lied on the demonstration, cut all the array tracing down. That, that surprises me because Forza was a series that I always heard continued to keep this pedigree that a lot of people would argue was better than Gran Turismo. So you're saying like the, and I, and I did start to notice this by the way online. Cause I was like looking around at like the state of some Xbox stuff. I saw a lot of people discussing how the last Forza did not pan out very well. It would just, again, I think it was a case that the, the the thing about a company as big as Microsoft is they outsource a lot. Now, every company makes stuff out does that. That's just the way the, the way the market works. So you, you spin up a product, you start it internally, you get a small team, and then when you get to the, the, the full shipping manufacturing product, you have to outsource. You have to bring in contractors. You have to bring in um, free freelancers to work on that product for a temporary period of time to get it out the door. That's common. 
I think Xboxes, they do it too often and they end up having these management mm. studios that just, you know, they've got a few people managing a bunch of contractors and that's just a recipe for disaster. And thoughts of five, you know, turn 10 were a good studio, but they did a lot of things wrong. They, again, chasing the market, they saw ray tracing was big, so they had to, you know, retrofit ray tracing into the same engine. They then decided to get rid of what they'd always managed, which was MSAA anti-aliasing, mm. which gives very clean, sharp images and goes to TAA which then makes the whole image look worse. Going back to the TAA stuff, you can't just change it in your engine and expect everything to work, and they found that. So you end up with less stable geometry than you did before, but all the smearing and, and blurring that TAA will give unless you start working with post-sharpening. And because they rely on very weak levels of texture assets, they didn't, they didn't remake a lot of assets, it make, it make the image at times look worse than the older version that was 4K anyway. And so, again, it's all around poor decisions. Um, Redfall, you know, absolutely dire game. In fact, Redfall is such a, such a bad game. If somebody tells me in five years that was the first AI-created game, I'd believe them. <laughs> because it, it, just everything about it just, just felt like it was made for a mobile market. It didn't feel like it was mm. made for a big console brand. And... That's the problem. Effectively, they've, they've devalued their own brand, and it's a, it's a shame um, because they've alienated a large portion of their audience. And some of them, you know, some of these people online, they've got, kind of got Stockholm syndrome in terms of that they're so wrapped up in Xbox, but it's not the same Xbox. And this is this happens with studios as well. You see, game studios and film companies. Everyone says, "Oh, last time, blah." That this instant, like Rocksteady, for example, and Rocksteady with their new game. Um, Kill the Justice League, which I reviewed recently. Terrible game in terms of what it was. It's not the fact that it was a bad game per se, or it was an online shooter. It was the fact that that's not the game that Rocksteady make. They make single-player, mm. tense, in- interactive Batman games. And then they were continuing that with this, and it was a cash-in. But it's not the same team that made... It's the same name on the door, but I, I would argue hardly anyone involved in Arkham Knight and Arkham City was involved in... Kill the Justice League. And Xbox is the same. It's not the same Xbox that was hungry when the original mm. Xbox came out. You know, they, they, they rushed out and snapped up Shenmue 2 from the Dreamcast that would die, Jet Set Radio. They went to Sega and got big exclusives. That's not Xbox we get now. They snapped up Halo away from Apple and the Mac and took, made that a generation-defining game. They pushed big E3 moments, Halo 2 and stuff. They An Xbox 360 was just an absolute dream. You know, Jay Allard was an absolute star in terms of what he did and how he delivered. And that spirit and focus, it's not there anymore. They, they lost the mojo with the Xbox One. They kind of went for that whole yeah. streaming service. And ever since then, they've just paid lip service to it. So it's that, that's... And, and people always say that, you know, I don't like Xbox. I literally my kids love xbox my my youngest is an xbox player he, he never played playstation just didn't like it and i've had everything in my house i've played everything from from day dot and xbox doesn't push people who like games and that's the biggest problem i think most people that run xbox now aren't gamers they're not interested and that's what the market can see it. You can see you can see when people are just trying to chase it because they don't understand it. And that's why they keep making silly mistakes. I mean, their best game from a technical perspective is still Flight Simulator. And that was made mm. by Asobo. And they're a French studio. And they've got two great games out there, the Plague's Tale series. And why haven't Microsoft tried to buy them or at least secure work no. with them to push Game Pass. That would, I mean, that and that's would, the type of game that would ru- be very good for Game Pass. A lot of people have pointed out, I think correctly, that with Starfield, this is a game that you just probably want to buy because you're going to 
if you like it, you're going to play it for hundreds of hours and keep going back to it. This isn't like a game, like a Netflix style thing, like a Plague's Tale would be. Maybe mm-hmm. most people would play that once or twice and they'd want to move on to the next single player experience. Yeah, that, that would be the type of thing that would be perfect for Game Pass compared to some of these other studios they bought up. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And and again, it's, it's basic stuff. I mean, I'm not in this market, but I'm pretty good at seeing what people should do. What they should have done is they should have made episodic games. That's what Game Pass is for. Game Pass, mm. they're trying to ship AAA games, which I've said for years, and I think we said it on, on the last one on, on your podcast as well. You can't make AAA quality games with Game Pass rates. It just doesn't work. The, the economics aren't there. It just will never sustain itself. It's unsustainable. So you end up with. But you could you make get. a lot of double A games that are episodic, which is something that, yes. frankly, this market doesn't have a lot of anymore. No. So. And you could. I mean, could you imagine a Plague's Tale turned into a multi episodic series at that quality with a new one coming out every six months and they just stagger it? It would keep subscriptions up. It would generate hype when it got to a you know a cliffhanger of the next what's happening next. That's what they should go for, and that's the only way I think I think Game Pass will work because fundamentally Game Pass people keep talking about it's the Netflix of gaming, but the the problem is that games you don't play mm-hmm. and consume games like you do movies and music and TV. It's not the same. You're never going to play you know a whole. You're not going to binge a whole a whole game in one night or one weekend like you do a TV show or, or watch a couple of movies. You're going to fall into a game and think, oh, this is good. I'll play this game for a bit, and I'll, I'll jump onto another one. But if you're paying £12 a month or whatever it is, or $20 a month, what, what are you going to play? Four games max. That's it. Mm. And, and that's, that's realistically the problem. They need to cycle more stuff, but they need it to be more... It needs to be a broader range. There's a lot of filler on Game Pass when you scroll through mm. it. A lot of stuff. and So, yeah, fundamentally, that, that, that's my problem with Game Pass. I just... I don't think it's been thought out well enough. They could have done a lot more with it, and they've lost they've lost all momentum now. I think that, that yeah, it's just not. Yeah, we need to get to that in a second. But I do want to throw this in there—an analogy I made that I want to try to say more often about the business model for Game Pass is, and I don't remember off the top of my head what the numbers were, but it was like you know, Spotify has like I don't know what it was. It was like two to four to five hundred million or something subs. And then Netflix is like one to 150 million subs or somewhere around there, I believe. And then there's Game Pass, which according to Phil Spencer, that deposition leak, wanted it to hit at like 80 million to be successful. And I was sitting here going, so there's music, uh, TV and movies, and then games. And each of these is a magnitude different in what it takes to make. A, oh. a game is five to 10 megabytes. I'm sorry, a song is five to 10 megabytes. Very easy to stream then, like cost nothing data wise. And it's something you listen to a lot and you want a lot of it. Perfect for streaming. Yeah. All right, now you move over to a TV show. All right, well, this is going to be more like 500 megabytes to a gigabyte, maybe 10 gigabytes, depending on the resolution or movie or whatever. And it's like, okay, well, so that's streamable, but it's not nearly as cheap to do as a song. And while people tend to watch a show twice, most people aren't going to watch a show 10 times like they'll listen to a song a thousand times. All right, a game. Most people play it once. It's, you know, 40 to 100 gigabytes. Costs way more to stream, and there's way less of a need to rewatch it. And these are different categories where one's perfect for streaming and cheapest to do it. One's pretty good for streaming and feasible. 
and then one of them costs substantially more and isn't as good for it. And somehow for Game Pass to be profitable, they had to hit Netflix numbers. That'd be like if Netflix had to hit half a billion subscribers to be profitable. It would never be profitable. You know, like, and I'm wondering, I'm, I'm getting the feeling that they're realizing that now, right? And that's where this Xbox business update came from. I mean, really, what I've been saying, I put out a few leaks about a lot of crazy quotes I've heard out of people at uh, Microsoft, but what's going on there. Um, and I started hinting a couple weeks ago on my channel that I'm like, it just sounds like from the people I talk to that something happened in upper management the engineers don't know about. And upper management saw some metric or, or noticed something, and some straw has broken the camel's back here. But during that Xbox business update, Sarah said, our 34 million game pass subscribers that means they haven't gained a single sub in two entire years Mm. and that i believe is what caused all of this a month or two ago is the execs went oh my god not only did starfield not boost our sales of game pass but it hasn't gone up for two years and now they're adjusting like uh, that that to me is clearly what they saw and I'm just wondering what you think about that, the Xbox business update in general and anything maybe you noticed from it. But additionally, like if they can get that momentum back, because it just feels like something like every week on I'm just seeing like another headline series S 250, 220, 200. I think I heard Colin Moriarty, I talked to a lot. He said he somehow got one on some like bulk sale deal for like under $200. Like it seems like the prices are just precipitously dropping. And I'm wondering if there's any way to turn this around. Well, again, that's standard practice because it's sunk cost now. So they're just trying to boost the revenue. They're just trying to boost the, the, the coffers as much as they possibly can. I mean, at the end of the day, they've let the ball drop. So they, bouncing that back up is going to be hard. And that's why they're going after the mobile market. That's why they've always been going after that. They need to expand. So their purchases in the last few years are around the fact that they want to push Game Pass stroke development and publishing elsewhere so they're going to go phones they're going to go tablets that's why they're all over this apple stuff and and pushing mm-hmm. to get apple out of this this walled off gate because they want to get into that market all those bums on seats and that's what they're going for because they need it because at the end of the day um you can't keep making expensive losses and that's what microsoft are doing that's why they've been hiding the numbers there's no there's only one reason why you fudge books when you come out with it at the end of the day shareholders are shareholders at some point they sat there and went mm-hmm. and they, you're absolutely right that's where that's where it's come from Somebody somewhere has said, nope, not having it anymore. You're not making any money. We're not making any profit. We just keep pouring money into this, and it's not going anywhere. So somebody said, you have to change tact. So all the all – the, for, for me, the business update was exactly what I thought it was. It was a crisis PR management. So they saw this stuff get out there, which is always the same way. These rumors don't come from nowhere. They come from disgruntled employees in Xbox. That's the way it always works. Social engineering is one of the is the is the biggest weakness in any technical hack in any company ever. It always has been, always will be. I know it firsthand. Cybersecurity is something mm. I'm heavily involved in, and nine times out of ten, you can point it to somebody somewhere and says it was that person there that did it. It's never a system that's usually the biggest weakness. It's the person. So some you got a lot of angry and upset people that work for Xbox that love Xbox, and they've seen all these meetings and this information coming down, and and, and they've they've taken one and one and made ten. Oh, absolutely. That update was just them kind of getting out ahead of the message to say, let's soften it a little bit. Let's say that some games, we're not going to say which four they are, but 
they're going to be service games. So, you know, we know it's Sea of Thieves. We know that the collection of games they're going for, but that's only short term because then it's not going to make a lot of money. Games that have been out for four years, like Pentagon, and they're not going to make a huge amount of money from that, are they? They're just doing it to start the ball rolling. Hi-Fi Rush, that'll probably start pretty well on Switch. But I'm almost certain that things like Indiana Jones, Starfield will come to Switch and PS5 sooner rather than later. As the the kind of the return on investment on that is just too big. They, they can't afford mm. to keep losing it. So what they're going to do is is say, here's Game Pass, subscribe to Game Pass, get all these games now. But also in six months, a year after it comes out, you can go and buy it on PS5, you can go and buy it on, on, on Switch. If it does really, really well for them, they'll probably drag that out. And they are going to do a, a, a time-by-time basis, this game by this game. But realistically, their biggest problem is they didn't plan out this very well. Once they said they would go to PC day and day, they almost mm-hmm. certainly halved their Xbox market. And that's, for me, their biggest faux pas. By making that mistake, they just didn't see the wood for the trees. They just thought it would be fine. And now they're paying the price for it because they've probably got a lot of people that support Xbox but actually are all playing on PC. And that means Mm -hmm. Steam. And Steam's much better than Game Pass, just as a UI, just as a, a functional use case. It's much better. I don't know if you guys remember my dog, Reese, but she was an incredibly helpful member of the Moore's Laws Dead team not too long ago. And unfortunately, I cannot teach my girlfriend's cat to be as adept with a keyboard or at editing or really to do anything useful besides roll around in the background here. But that's where Filmora 13 and its AI audio editing properties come to the rescue. This piece of content is brought to you by Wondershare Filmora 13. Filmora 13 is a piece of editing software with far more than basic editing tools available to you. It allows you to generate music with AI that you can commercially use like this and then do sophisticated things with it, like use AI audio stretch to fit a shorter piece of music to a longer clip. Here I am adding epic music to that previous Maurice Jesse video I showed you in my last Filmora ad last year. And they even let you use AI to generate speech from text. So while I definitely wish Reese could still be my little composer, Filmora, through the power of AI, at least is far more useful than Maurice, or Jesse for that matter. And you can support this channel by clicking on that link below and downloading Filmora for free. Downloading it for free supports the channel. So support your editing abilities and this channel with Filmora 13 today. Throw in the fact that games got- on Game Pass, like I, we got Deep Rock Galactic, we tried it out. This was many years ago on Game Pass for you know for free during one of their like one dollar month deals, mm. and then we played it for a month, went away, and then one of my friends said, "Oh, I'm still playing it, but I'm playing it on Steam. You should really buy it there. It doesn't crash anymore." And he was right. Well, once we bought it on Steam, I thought the game was buggy. It wasn't buggy on Steam. <laughs> that version never crashed. It was yeah. the Game Pass version that crashed. Yeah. Yeah, and again, all about APIs. And that's where an Xbox works. They're missing a trick. Yes. They, don't, they don't seem to understand their own market. I mean, you know, they should go for a handheld solution and compete against Steam Deck and make something that does a similar level of quality or better with similar hardware. They could do it. They've certainly they've got enough clever people there. They've certainly got enough people to deliver that quality, but they they don't they don't see the market because most of them are not in it. All the people that are don't get the chance to, to push things forward. It's, it's, it's the wrong people steering the ship. That's what I find with, with Xbox. And that's why I've 
I always get sad by the choices they make and the decisions they make. And again, this this PR, they're constantly on the back foot. They're constantly apologising. How did they not see this was going to mm-hmm. get out? So how did they not get ahead of it? I would have done. I would have come out at the beginning of the year or last year and said, right, we're going to hi-fi rush is going to switch. It's a big game. We need the revenue. It's good for Xbox. Sea of Thieves is going multi-platform. Everyone's going to get in. Let's dive in. And made, and made a positive out of it. It would have mm. happened then. But yeah, because all these rumors came out, and then they did the update. And they said, well, we were planning to do this for a while. It's like, does anyone believe you, Phil? I mean, come on. <laughs> You're putting out this business update like right after tons of rumors dropped. This is clearly in response to that. You're not fooling anybody. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's crisis PR management. It had the classic hallmarks of it. I even said before, I think I said on Twitter to somebody, it'll be somebody sitting down at a round table asking soft questions. That's exactly what it was. And yeah, it, it was weird too. Like he, they seem nervous, more nervous than I'm used to seeing Phil, who's usually exudes confidence, frankly, in most interviews I've seen. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't want to do it. He didn't want to do it. And 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 again, I think it's because they don't have a plan. That's the problem. Is it back to what mission statement? You, you need one. If you don't have a, a core pillar that your whole company centers on, you need a touchstone. Otherwise, everyone's going off on their own path, doing their own thing, saying their own thing. I mean, I quoted it, Sarah Bond saying the biggest technical, that was straight away, next generation, the biggest technical elite, they've learned nothing. They've literally coming out making the same errors yet again. You know, you're going up against one of the best hardware companies on planet Earth. Sony been making hardware for decades, yeah? In the 80s and 90s, if you had a TV, a hi-fi, a CD player, it was a Sony most likely because it was the best ones out there. They know what they're doing. And not only do they know what they're doing in terms of quality, they know what they're doing in terms of cost. So they can deliver things at a much cheaper bomb than Microsoft ever mm. will. And then the Microsoft Surface the tablets, they're great, but they're bloody expensive because they can't make them that level. If Sony were in that, and they got out of the, the laptop business. So that mm-hmm. tells you something. And yet they yeah, still That's true. If they can't make they can them profitable enough for yeah. themselves. Like, it's clearly not easy then, <laughs> which, you know, but how do they get around that with Surface? Well, they're like three or $4,000. Yeah. And that's how they do it. Exactly. Um, uh, and Apple can get away with that, but Microsoft can't. It's crisis management. That, that's Xbox constantly seem to be on the back foot, and it just it beggars belief for me. So it's funny, though. I wonder if you want i don't i don't know if you did watch any of that last video i put out i did an xbox analysis and it's funny my reading of the situation sounds very similar to what i believe you kind of danced around saying which was i get the impression that not like you know i've already said upper management made some decision but i get the impression they made some decision they said to phil this is going to happen and then phil threw together this conference to have it be a soft landing on people's like emotions when they announce it, right? That's, I, I believe that this was thrown together quickly after Phil was told he has no choice, right? That's the impression I get though, genuinely, is like he's trying to massage how people feel about it once they see how many things are actually going to change, right? That, that you agree, right? That's what you were saying as well. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't think he, I don't think he thought it'd get here. He probably hoped it would, it would come to pass that he'd get enough, but it hasn't happened. And yeah, that's why you can see his his body language was one of an unhappy man, almost defeated, as you said, didn't look very happy. Yeah, and it's interesting, Dan, you know, co-host of the news episodes of Broken Silicon, mentioned to me offline, like after he watched it, like 
he gets the feeling that what's going on too is they're like he, Dan's bet is what is going on is they said we're going to whether you like it or not put these games on other platforms if they sell well or depending on how well they sell this is going to be the metric we use to test how quickly we move everything over to other platforms and you directly hear Phil Spencer say this line he goes we're going to put things on other platforms and then we're going to learn what he's saying is is these sell well this is the plan moving forward that's Absolutely. what he's directly saying yeah um okay i got some reader mails here that i think are interesting coach freddy writes in and he says do you think people are not acknowledging that microsoft is doing too little on the product front or just expecting far more demand than was ever there in the first place in other words was the issue with game pass that it expected people wanted services more than they generally do or that they just fundamentally overestimated how many people there are out there to subscribe to any specific niche Period. And I think that's a very interesting question. Yeah. Do you think Microsoft has misjudged how much demand they could get out of these people and how much effort it would take to get it? Or do you think they misjudged how big of a subscriber count you can ever get with this type of a product? Period. Like, it doesn't matter how hard you tried. It will never get above a certain number. I think it's a bit of both. Um, I think I think they, they fell, fell, fell foul of both of those. Because I think... Remember, COVID was a very different. That was a captive market. It was it was moving everyone into that captive market, and and that gave them their biggest boost. Their single biggest boost was when that kicked off. That was when Game Pass came out. Their growth went up, and that was a, like a huge revenue stream for them. And they thought, hey, we've got the 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 ability here to push this further. And that probably drove a lot of forecasting expectations, thinking this is just going to continue. People are just going to be at home all the time. They're going to be on Game Pass. It's going to be great. And their whole aim is is always about, I think, to to dictate the market. They they want to be able to say to devs and to publishers, you come in, we get you on our service, and we take whatever we take, and you, we give you what's left over. And that that's that's kind of the tent pole for what they want to get to. And I I see they didn't do enough to deliver Game Pass. So I think they thought it's all working great. We've got a lot of games mm-hmm. coming. We'll have some more games coming next year. Starfield, things slipped, and all that, all that kind of stuff. They didn't see the knock-on effect of having all these people working from home and seeing that it was going to slow everything down, which it has everywhere in every industry going. They underestimated that. And then they obviously then thought, well, console exclusives are not that important because let's just keep pushing. And I see a lot of people online even saying that now, saying consoles don't need exclusive. And it's just rubbish. It's just, I, I don't know who they're trying to fool, but exclusives absolutely are the bread and butter of every piece of hardware if you want to get it into the door. Otherwise, what do you, what do, you do to differentiate yourself? Otherwise, you wouldn't have VR mm-hmm. with, with exclusives. You've got Assassin's Creed exclusive Quest 3, sold t- terribly by Ubisoft standards. But that's what you get when you haven't got a market. Bigger Half-Life for, on the Steam VR. And, and Sony have done it with Resident Evil games, GT7, all on PSVR 2. So consoles need exclusives they've always had exclusives and this is a, simply a case of microsoft just thought they could get away with third party and that hasn't worked mm-hmm. and, and it, it's just like if you look at nintendo switch their market they've done an absolute killing with the switch but if they didn't have exclusives how small do you think their market would be it wouldn't be crap but it wouldn't be as big as it is now because right because they've still got some innovative features with their console and like yeah. sony would argue you know if mark cerny was here he would go well we have the ssd and we've got the haptic triggers but that's an interesting thing that also apply is then right back at microsoft they don't they didn't do some new thing with haptic triggers they didn't do something they don't have the fastest ssd it's like 
they just went for performance and that didn't really pan out. And so I'm just kind of adding on to your argument. It's not only that they got rid of exclusives. This isn't a portable handheld where the controller comes off like Nintendo. It doesn't have any of these other things besides exclusives either that would really tell you you need this. No. And that's it. Again, it's about having, you've got to have a USP. If you don't have a USP, what, You've got to ask yourself, if I'm a customer and I'm coming in to buy an Xbox, I mean, I said this when it came out, I hated the fact that it had exactly the same operating system as Xbox One. And that's just, mm. that's, that was already, for me, a bad thing. Because people don't, when you buy a new console or a new PC, you like that new feeling. You're like, oh, it's new, it's different. You know, moving from Windows to, to Linux, it's it's different. You, get, you have to get used to it. But that's part of the fun because it's new. If you go to a new console, you want new features. But... Like you say, look at look at Sony. They they centered around the SSD, and it wasn't just around the speed; it was around the I/O system. So take away the pressure from the system, but also get into games quicker. You've got the card system, which means you don't need most of the time. You don't need quick resume, which is crap anyway, because it it generally can cause performance issues. We've covered before. Sometimes you can get big performance issues on Series X if you try and use quick resume just because of the way the data is pu- pushed back into RAM. Um, on the on the PS5, you've got a completely different dash. It's far more responsive than the PS4. It's quicker. You can go straight back into a game where you were. You can get tips online. They've integrated things, and even though not all those things have worked, you know that whenever you turn the PlayStation 5 on, you're on a completely different hardware, a completely different construction, yeah. and a completely different operating system to the PS4. It doesn't feel the same, doesn't look the same, and everything is much more efficient and just easier to use. The Series X is just faster than the Xbox One. It just turns mm. on faster, it gets you around the dash faster, it loads games faster, but it's no different. It doesn't feel any different. It just feels like you've got a better PC. And, okay, that's arguably what they were going for, but then you can't be surprised when you just got a load of apathy from your market saying, well, actually, let's buy a PS5 then, because, like you say, it's got dual sense, it's got all these haptic feedbacks, it's got all of these options that I don't have. And, and the other thing is, they went for the proprietary, you know, Seagate hard drives, which was just a stupid idea. Mm. Where Sony just went. The go. one thing that they did that wasn't like a PC is make you get a more expensive hard drive, like which is an interesting choice for someone that says they're all about choice. Yeah. I have to say that was odd. Yeah, well, a revenue stream. Like you think it should be even more. Like you know, not only that, you can buy your own Wi-Fi card. You can put in whatever SSD you want. You would have thought that's the direction they should have gone with the hardware if that's the argument they're making. Um. You know, I guess I actually want to jump in and ask this question here because I think what's clear is, and, and this really will lead into two questions, I guess, like with the second one being, do you think they can turn it around? You know, if, if so, how do you think they could turn Game Pass subscribers around? Or Because if they've not gained a sub for like two years, and some people might argue it's pretty flatline for three years, like I'm wondering if like what they're doing is they're going, okay, well, We've conditioned people on Xbox not buy games. And you can see this in Europe. It's like they're just removing Xbox sections from stores because, well, people play on Xbox in Europe, but they don't buy games. So no one's going into the store. I think I saw something where one of the physical copies of some popular game was being given away at a store because no one's getting it because it's on Game Pass. So they're just like, take it. I don't know. Like... They've conditioned their user base to not buy games. So some of the user base would say, well, that's great. I love that. And it's like, well... Okay, but they've only got 30 million, arguably like 25 million, because some of them are just still Xbox Live Gold, actually. Um, Mm. Subscribers, is that really ever going to go up? I think they suspect it won't. And so they're like, well, we can't get rid of Game Pass because we do have these like 
20, and again, when they say 34, that's including what used to be called Xbox Live Gold. So it's really like 25 million people, I think, are actual full paying Game Pass subscribers. Do you think they're going, well, we need to keep those people, so we have to keep releasing all the games we make on Game Pass, but it's not making us enough money after buying all these studios, and we spent 70 billion freaking dollars on, like, we need to also put it on Switch, we need to also put it on PlayStation to make most of the money back there, but then we also have to tend to Game Pass. Like, the question I'm getting to is, do you think they're going to just accept that, like, Game Pass always has the same rough number it has now? And cater to that to not lose it, but then send everything to other consoles to make an actual profit? Or do you think they plan to wind down Game Pass eventually if it doesn't get to like 50 million or something? I, I'm curious if you think it's just always going to kind of be there at 20, like 34 million people. And then they're just putting things on everything else. Or if you think if it doesn't grow, they'll kill it. Or if they're going to fight tooth and nail to make it get bigger long term. I think that. Uh, and I said before that they, they need an incentive for it to work, and they seem to be lacking it, or they're blind to what whatever they're trying to achieve. Because fundamentally, they they have games coming up that could do a lot for Game Pass. You know, Indiana Jones is going to be a big game. Mm. I don't care. That is going to be huge, and that's that's going to make them a lot of money. And that is going to be a game that will shift people to Game Pass if it's on day one. People will just subscribe to play that game and then unsubscribe. Um, so that's the first thing that I think is going to work. But they need more than that. They, and that's what they need to... They're not, they're not thinking forward. And let's be clear, Sony haven't done very well the past years either. They've really fallen behind in terms of their exclusive. So it's not just a problem for Xbox. Mm. I'm going to be clear on that. Sony have also not shipped enough first-party games. But Microsoft yeah, And so I think what Microsoft are going, as I say, it's, it's mobile. They're going to try and push it out. And that's why they're pushing that. That's why they keep saying we're going to push games to other platforms. They're not just talking PlayStation. They're not just talking Switch. They're talking anything they can get on. You've got Apple iPhone 15 Pro that can play games now that that could run on Xbox One. So a lot of Game Pass would work on that. Right. It can run the new Resident Evil 4 remake, can't it? Yeah, exactly. And Dead Strand. And uh, uh, that's right. I forgot about that. So. That not only that, they can go to the tablets coming out, and they'll be even more powerful. They can go to PCs, they can go to Steam Deck. They want to, they want to expand the market to everything, and not just Western markets. They want to be in China, they want to be in Japan, they want to be in India, they want to be anywhere they can be. So that's what they're going for. They're going for the cloud solution stream. I guarantee you, you're going to see Xbox and TVs coming up very soon, and it'll be embedded. It'll be an embedded application on the box that will run. Xbox locally and via a cloud at a level that will be able to play certain games and it will, they'll hybrid it. That's what they're going for. So they want to get out that, that they know their market's not working for them. So they're transitioning and all their, their messaging is Xbox. The platform is game pass. They're one in the same. So then I don't think they're going to give up on game pass, but they, they realistically need to fill up the coffers. They need to get return on investment. That's why they're going to say, let's ship these games over on PS5. We know it's going to sell best part of 5, 10 million if it's a really big game. Like Indiana Jones, well, it will pay for itself X times over if they ship that game on PS5 alone, let alone if they ship it on, right. on Switch. And that's what they'll go for. And if they, if they can sustain the losses with big sales on other platforms, then Game Pass isn't... A, it's no longer the noose around the neck anymore. Then it's a means to an end, which is how can we get Game Pass to more devices on more things and we'll use other people's markets, Sony, 
Nintendo, Apple, to shift our, our bottom line up and just push games over. And that's what this is. This is a soft spin. Soft spin until such times as they can say, right, we're now going to ship all these games over there too. Like I say, I've, I've, I've heard a few other titles that have been in the works for a while that are probably almost certainly now, I've heard about them, going to go multi-platform because it shouldn't really hurt the user base because they're not new games. They're kind of remasters of old games. And I think that's where they'll go. I think that's just what mm. will happen. Yeah, I mean, I was just, by the way, on the side there, we were talking, glance at the Death Stranding running on an iPhone. And I'd say, on the one hand, it seems like the analyses I'm looking at online conclude it doesn't look quite as good as like even the PS4 version. But it looks better than I expected it to, to be honest. Like, it's, it's, it's clearly running, fully running Death Stranding on that phone. And so I suppose, but I'm curious, like, when you see, like, Literally, they're running Death Stranding on a phone now. Do you think Microsoft's goal with Game Pass will be to put a chip into every big screen TV that has a minimum level of performance to run it locally? Or do you think they are going to keep hammering xCloud? I think they'll go hybrid. I think they'll do both. I think where they can get away with it. But so you think you would that be part of it, is they will say yeah. they'll try to like power a TV with an Xbox? Yeah. Yeah, you it's not a dumb idea. Get, I think that might be the way to do it. Yeah, you could you could easily get a more powerful Series S quality device inside a modern TV now without that problem at all. It, it could mm-hmm. outperform a Series S, and and I think that, that if you look at what they do, they have a lot of strategic partnerships already with LG and Samsung. Um, I think Samsung actually was one of the very first. Was it LG or something? One of them was was the very first one to support the Xbox One X VRR when it, when it came out. They demoed it on that. Mm. So. And Microsoft are very good at that, to be fair. They're very good at building these strategic partnerships. So there's a roadmap ahead of them. And I think that's what you, I think you reported on, it, you, on your um, thing about they hadn't signed a deal with AMD. And, and now it's mm. coming out that they'd signed quite late. That does, that's typical Microsoft. That is typical Microsoft. They'll play the market. They'll look at options. So, some uh, contacts of mine at some of these companies I talked to about it, they pointed me to the fact that apparently the original Xbox uh had amd cpus and gpus in the dev kit and then they announced an intel nvidia partnership on stage apparently i think it was at e3 with amd engineers in the front row with their jaws dropping so there were people talking to me about that like they were considering doing that to amd again it sounds like they're not but like i I didn't even remember that happened that they had AMD dev kits and switched to Intel and NVIDIA last minute. That's that's almost up there with like what Nintendo did to Sony with the original that spawned the original <laughs> yeah. PlayStation. That's that's just nuts to like have a dev kit with AMD hardware and then announce Intel. It's such a slap in the face. The fact that they considered doing that again, I think, tells you a lot. Yeah, well, was, uh, Sega did it as well. Sega did it to 3DFX with a Voodoo, and they and then they, they took Video Logic in in the end with the Dreamcast. They they did exactly the same thing. So there's there's this is not new. This happens a lot, mm. and and business is business. You can't take it personally. I don't think anyone does. But at the end of the day, Microsoft want a good partnership. Intel to me, their their GPU I think was impressive considering what they did. Um, I think their first market overall, their first GPU to market was actually pretty good in terms of where it ran modern games, certainly not older games. But NVIDIA are too expensive. Intel have got Intel have got a vested interest to get their foot in the console market. So I, I, I they need to fill up their fabs. You know, yeah, like that's they do, yeah. And, they, and like no they one, can, no, they have no other partnerships. They know AMD's taking market share in CPU, so they need to have some use their fabs for something. And a console would be something they could announce to their uh, 
at every shareholder meeting, Intel could go, of course, we're uh, an outside fab company. We're making the Xbox. Like that's That would have been such a boon for them. My, my understanding is, for the most part, Microsoft was just bidding these companies against each other. Absolutely. And then Intel took it seriously because Intel knew, man, this... But apparently Microsoft sent, signed a letter of intent and then went back on it after <laughs> signing a letter of intent. So I guess that tells you what happened to the Intel deal, though. That's a shame. It's just crazy to me. Yeah. That's a shame. I, I, I miss those days where it was individual proprietary hardware. You know, the PS3 with the mm. with partnership with IBM, that was kind of a great um, box in terms of... Well, in fact, it would have been a hell of a lifeline to ARC, to be honest. That's yes. what I. That's how I yeah. see it, is this would have been the biggest lifeline ever, like, to save it. Um, I agree. But, all right, so moving... Let, let me move forward then talking about... This is a question that I wasn't sure where to put in the script, but let me... Just throw it in here okay. out of left field because I've seen people talking about this. Falto writes and he says, if you're able to answer, I, please do. Will GTA 6 have a 60 hertz mode on the PS5 and or Series X? Or are they planning to keep 60 FPS for the PS5 Pro only, if you had to guess? In my opinion, I think this would be very annoying from a consumer standpoint, but I suppose this could help sell the PS5 Pro. Well, I mean... You know, I, I don't think Rockstar is a subsidiary of Sony, though, so I think the decision won't be to promote the, the PS5 Pro. Um, but I, I'm curious what you think about that, because my answer... Well, actually, I have two answers. Number one, I think it's absolutely ridiculous when a, any game only hits 30 hertz at most. Like, at a minimum, I would say you should have an option for people with VRR TVs, which is like a decent amount of people now, to have a 40 hertz mode, because it, even that feels so much smoother than 30 frames per second. But I've seen a lot of people arguing about if the graphics of that GTA 6 trailer could ever run at 60 frames per second. My, From what I could tell, it looked a little blurry in the background. It was clearly actually running the game. This was not ball shots. So based on the image quality, I was like, I could, easily, I could see an unstable 60 with like a 1080p or 1440p 60 mode and then like an almost 4K 30 or 40 mode, but I'm curious if you think, or it, you know, sometimes I know you know these things, if you think or know if GTA 6 will have a 60 hertz mode on both the base PS5 and Series X, or if you think it's very unlikely it will not have a 60 hertz mode. Uh, I don't know. I've got no idea, and I would I would almost certainly say no. I would suspect not. Simply because it's Name me one Rockstar big game that's ever come out on console that has a 60 FPS mode. Uh, even now, you haven't even got Red Dead Redemption 2 with a 60 FPS mode. And it could do it on the PS5 and Series X. They could release a patch, but they won't. Uh, I mean, mm. Jesus, they did Red Dead Redemption on PS5 and then added the, the 60 FPS mode later on for the first game. So they, they're aware that 60 hertz... Rockstar's a kind of very special beast, isn't it, in terms of... I mean, GTA is like the biggest selling game every year all the time. It's always in the top 10, isn't it? Top 5, even. Mm-hmm. I, 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 uh, I say this a lot, and, and graphics are only part of the conversation. 60 FPS isn't related to just GPU. It's related to everything. And Rockstar, and specifically Rockstar and their GTA engine, does a lot. There's a lot of simulation, there's a lot of AI, there's a lot of collision detection, there's a lot of dynamic data-driven content. That is hard to run. It's hard to run because it's not consistent. Any data-driven engine can have problems. You have to be very efficient in terms of, you know, building memory, allocating memory, memaloc, destroying it, keeping things in buffers, not over... There's just so much crap going on in a game that has so many dynamic elements, such as GTA, that... I. 
even if they could get it at 1080p, 60 FPS, which they probably could in certain points, it, it probably won't be very consistent. So it's it's far better from a delivery perspective to target a fixed, consistent level of quality. And if and the, the team, the artists, want the best visuals, which means high resolutions. So nine times out of ten, as you said earlier, actually, with, with Starfield, if, you, if you've got an inconsistent 4050 or a locked 30 at near enough 1800p, what are you going to go for? You're just going to go for 30. If you keep consistent levels there, then do it. So I think the best thing you can hope for is they release it with a 30 hertz mode as standard, and then later on they release an updated version that has a 40 FPS or a VRR mode or whatever that cuts out some of the stuff. But I wouldn't hold my breath on that because I just think that, that will sacrifice too much of what their aims are. And GTAs have always been kind of groundbreaking games from the generation. I mean, GTA is still now on 5, running on a PS3. It's, it's bonkers. Every time I play that game on the PS3, I'm blown away by what they did. Even now, it's better than most games come out now in terms of technology, physics, interaction. It's just amazing. And they're running that in less than 256 megabytes of space. It's just mad. So, Don't you think times have changed, though? And maybe I'm crazy here, but if I was sony i would be pushing back though i'd say come on man you've got to have something above 30 frames per second here i mean i I think and i think don't you think maybe sony saw like with the ps4 pro versus xbox one x where xbox one x kept harping about being the 4k console right to the point that they had some games that insisted would run on native 4k on the xbox one x but then they rented a lower frame rate on average in the ps4 pro and you know I, th- I think sony saw that and there's been even some games that have come out like returnal where it ran at a fairly lower resolution to hit a consistent 60 you don't think sony at least or or both of these companies like microsoft would push back and say we want some unlocked frame rate option something i mean come on man you've got to do this i mean actually if i was sony i would say Hey, if you want to ship this, you've got to give us at least an unlocked frame rate mode so that when the PS5 Pro comes out, we don't need to patch it or something. You know, you don't think there'd be any pushback on that? I'm sure there's conversations, but at the end of the day, Sony have got no say in the matter. So the same as Xbox. It's not their game. They're not publishers. Unless they are they are funding that game in some way and have some control over it, then they are just passengers in that shipment. All they can do is have their... Does it hit my Q&A? Does it get through on my, my review? Am I happy with it? Have I signed it off as I can ship it on my console? Then that's it. So they have to accept whatever the developer gives them, and that's the way it should be. And I think it's, it's, a, it's a... For me, I've always been very anti this. You should never tell an artist or a person what they should make. I can you can ask for it. So I, I would love to have a 60 FPS mode because, you know, it, there's no argument. 60 FPS is, is objectively better than 30. Absolutely. Like, but, I think yeah. I'd almost rather play at 720p60 than, like, 4K30. Like, honest to God, like, I might prefer that. Yeah, I'm sure many people would. But the problem is that you don't, that's, that's not always an option. It's not, it's not just the resolution that causes it. You'll have many games where, where it doesn't matter. You could, you could pick Starfield. I guarantee you, you could drop Starfield to 720p on the Series X, and it was, still wouldn't be 60 FPS everywhere. Because it's just mm-hmm. not GPU bound all the time, and I guess I'm also making the bet that uh, Rockstar is better at programming than Bethesda, though. <laughs> that's, that's also <laughs> no, what no, I'm. No, you're right there. Yeah, you're right there. But um, I, it's 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 individuals. For me, I'm happy if it's stable, solid with with good motion blur. 30 FPS is not going to bother me. But I prefer 60, absolutely. But it depends on the game. Um, 
and really Rockstar, I think they've got an uphill battle. If if they deliver the quality, and there's no reason to doubt them because they always have done, if they deliver the quality of that trailer on on the I mean, I don't know how they're gonna do it on the Series S, to be fair. That's gonna be an absolute nightmare. But on the Series X. We're not X, talking about the Series S, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On the Series X and PlayStation 5. Uh, and and uh, if you want 60 FPS and it's a real cliche, then that's where the PC market sits. But I guarantee you that even when it comes out a year later, a top-end 4090 will probably struggle to run that game uh, outside of a reconstructed 4K resolution with DLSS at 60 FPS. Mm-hmm. And and that's and that's the long and short of it. The long and short of it is, if you're if you're at the bleeding edge, then you're always going to hit the slowest part of it. And and if you stop, if you don't allow people to push technology and just push frame rates, you end up with what a lot of people moan about in this generation, quite rightly so, which is everything looks like an up-res version of a PS4 game, and it does because that's we've generally had the longest run of a crossover generation since the, the PS2 days, where. Things were 60 FPS more often than not. You got we've we've been spoiled. So I think you're right on that score. I think it's a it's a little bit of a rod for Xbox and Sony's back now, where they've made everyone get so used to 60 again that people are thinking, well, actually, I'm going to struggle without 60 FPS. I just don't think Rockstar fall into that category. They are a rule unto themselves. Um, mm. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? I I I will be happy to be proven wrong. Yeah, I mean, I can't say that I know anyone at Rockstar, nor have talked to someone there for a very long time. So I, I, I have no clue. I'm really, I'm really of two minds about it. I mean, I'm like half of me is like, I just, I think, I think we're past this point of like not including an unlocked frame rate. But at the same time, I'm like, God, if there was one company that really has done a lot of 30 frames per second games, even when it didn't really make sense anymore. I mean, come on, patch Red Dead Redemption 2 on literally any console. What is Mm. going on? Um, It would be that company. Although, here's the thing, though. I don't know if you've seen my reporting or, I don't know, another half a dozen people's reporting on it or if you've heard anything personally about the PS5 Pro. But from what I'm hearing, it is coming out this holiday season. It is, you know, kind of aiming to double performance um, easily, even more easily than before. Like they want to make it like the simplest of checkboxes. In fact, I have a suspicion. Like I'm wondering if the way the PS5 Pro works is in the PS5 menu system right now, you can, there's toggles for forcing VRR. There's toggles for if you prefer performance or fidelity. And I almost wonder if Sony can pull some of that out of the hands of the developers. They can force VRR. They have a toggle for if you want a higher frame rate. I'm almost wondering if the PS5 Pro can unlock frame rates in an experimental mode um, without the developers even having to say. Like, I'm wondering if that, and some games may crash, but Sony will just warn you, most of them should work fine. You know, at a minimum, I would think that should be able to run GTA 6 at least at a higher frame rate than the base consoles because it'll be built for the base. But, you know, so I, I'm just throwing this out there to ask what you think about that idea, those ideas I just threw out, and just in general, what you think about the PlayStation 5 rumors, too. Well, I did see your video on it a while ago, and I, I, I agree with you. Uh, I think that I, I never saw the reason for a PS5 Pro, um, and st- I still don't. I still don't. When I, I kind of agreed with you too, even though yeah, I had these rumors. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And and I, I still don't. But but things have changed. The market's changed, and Sony must have seen it coming sooner. Now I see the reason. So the, to to cement their lead, it makes sense to make a PS5 Pro plus. There might be some marketing stroke manufacturing benefits they're getting out of this as well in, in terms of, you know, better 
yields on dies and everything else, so therefore they can get slightly better hardware for the same stroke, slightly more expensive cost, but they can ramp the cost up. The market might accept it. And I think the giveaway... Or remove the disk drive and still sell it for 500 is my Yeah, well, you've got a modular disk drive now, so you guarantee that that modular disk drive, they can sell it for for 60, 70 quid less. And if you want a drive, just go and buy one off the shelf and it'll plug in. So... Now, I reviewed the PS5 Slim, and I think that's great. I think I'm cracking. I'm a big fan of that. As a physical uh, advocate, I, I, I preach and please stay physical as long as we possibly can. Having a, a replaceable drive that you can sim- simply just plug in, connect, and it works, and that's it. That's great. That's a, that's a real game changer for, for console market in terms of having that option. But I think the PS5 Pro, I think what a lot of what you said is right. I think it'll have a modest CPU boost. I think it'll be the same generation. Mm-hmm. It'll be faster in terms of clock rates, but nothing but. I think RAM will be slightly more, but not a huge amount. Um, generally, because I think they'll they'll push harder on ray tracing and options within AI upscalers. That'll be a big part of it in terms of you know their version of DLSS, which. I've heard they've been working on for a while in terms of their own proprietary. You've heard Sony has been. Yes, yeah. Because that's the one thing I could not verify from some of my contacts is, again, without going into detail for obvious reasons, but it's like I got like firm, this is this, this is that, like Zen 2, probably above 4 gigahertz, don't know the exact clock speed. Yes, it goes up to 60 compute units, but some will be disabled. Yes, it's still 16 gigabytes. Like this is like people I trust, but none of them could verify the whole thing on the reset era leak that I think was the most interesting and surprising was that it might have a you know bespoke NPU or who knows if there was a game of telephone there. It sounds like they have their own version of DLSS in some FPGA or ASIC for doing it, right? So you're saying you have heard Sony's been working on that, which is interesting to me because that's one of those blind spots I still have. I've, I've, yeah, so I haven't got many contacts, I hate that word, but people I know that are developers that have said, bits and bobs over the past couple of years about things. But the thing is, Sony are always working on stuff. They're always doing a lot of things within their internal development teams, as as do everybody, as does Microsoft even. So everyone's working on stuff. They're always trying new things. They're always pushing things within the APIs and making the libs much easier for developers. That's That's one of Sony's strengths in terms of the fact that they try to give as much as they can so that you pick and choose from all their selections. You can roll your own or you can take what's off the shelf and make it work with your engine, whatever that works go for it. But I think the writing's on the wall in terms of, look at all the Sony first-party games of the past year or so. They've all had VRR modes, they've all had 40 FPS modes, and they've all had performance modes that are unlocked. So the giveaway there is, if you take something like, uh, recently, Last of Us 2 Remastered, it's got 120 FPS performance mode in there. So at 1440p. So you can just turn that on, run that game, and it'll, right now on the PS5, it'll hover somewhere between 17 and 90. That's that's kind of where it sits. But that's, that's going to be a locked 120 with no work at all from the devs. And it wouldn't take much more work to just push out, as they did with the PS5 for PS4 Pro, a load of patches to unlock frame rates left, right, and center. So there's most games on consoles are GPU limited. Most games are because they design around it. But that not every game is going to work that way. So I think you're right. I think uh, the, the, the OS in the PS5 is far more constructed mm. and closer to the API giving the developer you, know, you the choice. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm almost certain. I'm almost certain that you, you'll see it. And, and, and I think you probably will see a, a 40 FPS mode on GTA 6 if they get around to it and, and figure it out. But that is a realistic expectation for the hardware leap. But I do think they'll, they'll lean heavily into ray tracing and AI upscalers just because... Uh, it means they can sell a 124K machine 
and they can keep up with NVIDIA, who are, let's be honest, doing a really great job in terms of making ray tracing their mm-hmm. own. They're, they've almost single-handedly taken the word, and everyone touch now says ray tracing, just says NVIDIA. It's, it's, that is marketing. Or RTX, yeah. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely brilliant. I've got, to, I've got to love them for it. They've done such a good job in terms of the fact that now you'll go ray tracing, NVIDIA RTX. It's like, no, that's that's a brand. <laughs> it's not yeah. ray tracing, but it's it's become synonymous with it, hasn't it? So, yeah, I, I think that's where Sony will lean into the PS5. I think that's where they go. That and, and just boosting PSVR 2, but I still think that's just going to be this extra long legs kind of let's make games with VR modes and try and merge the two. So all I've heard is is there is something. The PS5 Pro is is real, I've heard. People have. Yeah, Colin Moriarty told me that too. And of course, he has some friends that are developers as well. And they're like, he's like, uh, one of them was looking at it while I talked to him on the phone. So uh, now, I mean, it's it's real. It's definitely real. Yeah, right. It, it's, yeah. it's becoming obvious there. But all Jesse wants this Valentine season is for Maurice to play with her more often. But unfortunately, he just does not give out playtime or kisses for as low of a rate as she does. And I think she's just going to have to deal with that. But do you know what you don't have to deal with? Paying too much for Microsoft software if you go to cdkeyoffer.com. This piece of content is sponsored by cdkeyoffer.com. Whether it's Microsoft operating systems, Office products, or even many of the latest games, cdkeyoffer.com provides PC gamers with a product this community deserves amongst endlessly elevating component costs. Fair pricing on Microsoft keys is one thing that we at least should get, I think. And you know, the Moore's Law is Dead team has been working with cdkeyoffer.com for a very long time. And that's because they're good to me, good to Dan, good to about a dozen family members of friends of mine that have used their services. And they've been really, really good, most importantly, to the Moore's Law is Dead community. So support this channel by using offer code BROKENSILICON to save 25% off Microsoft software, or you can also use DieShrink to save 3% off everything else on the website like games. Using either of those codes really helps the channel a ton, and it helps save you money. So use those codes BROKENSILICON and DieShrink at cdkeyoffer.com today. I guess so this 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 DLSS competitor Sony's been working on. I'm curious then because it's it's interesting to think about like all right. So based on what I'm seeing in the specs here, the PS5 Pro is going to. I mean, it, you know, it has a higher level, higher level of tier, higher tier of RDNA IP, so higher performance at the same clocks. It'll probably be similar clocks. I think is the base PS5. Although frankly, I don't know the clock speed. Um, and it, it should have, you know, over, what would that be? 36, 18, yeah, over 50% more or at least 50% more compute units. So I, I think the, I think the goal then is just to abstract it away, be able to take any game, every game basically is unlocked frame rates now and Sony can even force it through the OS and then just double frame rates or at least give you a 50% higher frame rate. So if it was running at, you know, 1440p 80 before now it's at least running 1440p 120 or 144. Mm. Do you think they're also going to try to abstract in their Nate, like the, the DLSS competitor they have without consultation from the devs as well? Is there a chance you think that this upscaling method they have is going to be able to go, all right, so this game here actually is now going to run through this layer of upscaling that makes it look higher resolution as well without the dev touching it. Do you think they could also do that? I, I, no, because I think, again, we're okay. back to there's too much work 
um, that could have And that's my suspicion as well, is that they can force a higher frame rate without the dev saying anything, but that the dev will need to at least put in a little effort to take advantage of extra stuff to make it run at a higher resolution or de facto higher resolution. Yeah, think of it along the same lines as what they did with the PS5 Pro and the the checkerboard solution. So they they put a hardware... Boost in the, in in the, the the GPU itself, so they put in an extra register to be able to track the uh, asset ID, so that they could track geometry, and therefore, when a pixel moves, they could track where it was in the ID buffer, and then be able to track and say, okay, I can now checkerboard that back up by using a reconstruction of where the pixel went. So th- th- they've elaborated on that. So if you've then got an option within hardware that allows you to use their API to say, now, instead of doing that, just imagine a DLSS AI, in quotes, because everything's AI nowadays. Everyone's just going marketing mad. But at the end of the day, AI is just software algorithms that, that can be hardware accelerated like everything. So you've now got so many different ways to be able to reconstruct an image. But fundamentally, it's still around the same things, which is, you know, vector buffers, pixel buffers, color buffers. You need to know where something was and where it's moved to and what's changed in between. So if they can track all that in, in, a, in a much better, more efficient way than the ID buffer did for the PS5 Pro, then the biggest benefit of the PS5 will be to say, well, let's take a 1440p base and reconstruct mm-hmm. that back to 4K. That's going to be very hard to distinguish from a genuine 4K image. And as we see with DLSS, it, most of the time it's better, but that's largely because of the fact that you've got more information over multiple frames and you add sharpening and contrast aware sharpening into that. So you end up getting slightly better image quality because the TAA is being compensated for by the sharpening pass that's running on top of the, of the assets and the textures. All of that is still developer-focused. So I think the problem is that we all get, we're all guilty of it. You get giddy on, on the technology coming out. But really, a lot of this stuff, Sony do it behind the scenes. It's not for us. You know, if I was developing, it would be for me. But it's for the developers to be able to pick something and make something better on that machine. But most of the mm-hmm. time, it, should be, it shouldn't even be visible to the consumer. We should just go out, buy the game, play on the PS5 Pro, and go, Jesus Christ, it's 4K, it's 120. How great is my life now? And that is fundamentally what they're going to go for, I think. But how it gets there will be any which way it can. And I said this before, now that everyone does reconstruction, even top-end PC, so even the 4090 can't deliver 4K, 120, 60 even on some games, you have to use DLSS. So if everybody's reconstructing, then everyone's lying. So if everyone's lying, no one's telling the truth, and everyone's in the same game. So now Sony don't have the problem they had before. With the PS5 Pro, mm. PS4 Pro, it's all that marketing around. It's not true 4K. But no one's going to say that now, because no one can say it. Well, and there were some games. I remember a, a Digital Foundry video analyzing Sekiro, and they found the 1800p like checkerboard to 4K thing they were doing looked better than the native 4K on Xbox. They're like, it looks sharper. Like yeah. they actually made it look sharper with their checkerboarding. And that was one of those, for me, oh shit moments of, you know, this upscaling stuff is starting to mature, actually, guys. Like it's getting there. It's, it's always been better. So more pixels is a waste of time. Any GPU guy will tell you or girl will say, don't, don't waste pixels. If you can do it at 1080p and make it look like 4K, do that. Because you can do so much more with the hardware if you're not just trying to push more pixels. Because fundamentally, pushing more pixels is very expensive. And 1080p to 4K is astronomically demanding on hardware, even top-end hardware. Just the sheer pixel fill rate, let alone bandwidth, mm-hmm. is mad. So it just makes more sense to be more efficient. And I'm all for that. Efficiency is always the best way. I would love somebody to make a game on the RTX 4090 
and run it at 1080p 30 and go mad. It would look amazing, but no one does. So I actually, two ideas came to mind for me here. Um, do you think Sony is, is, if Sony does have some, you know, DLSS competitor, let's say, do you think it is fully bespoke or do you think they're working with AMD on some fork of FSR? Because I, something I'm thinking about, like I've heard they're working on a handheld, they're obviously working on a next-gen console. Sony plans to make consoles for decades. You would think they'd want to have the base of something that it can iterate on for backwards compatibility reasons, for sustainable iteration reasons. Like the checkerboarding chip in the PS4 Pro was like a one-off, basically. It was like, it does its thing, you don't need to touch it, it's over there, and it's not in the PS5. Do you think they're kind of doing that again with a bespoke piece of hardware? Or do you think whatever they're working on, they're thinking ahead and going, there will be a new version of this in the PS6, and it's kind of like a version of FSR so that we can work with AMD together on this? I'm wondering if you think it's fully bespoke or some forward-looking version of FSR or something. I, I don't know. Um, I would suspect that it uh, Sony don't, won't work with it. Sony don't need AMD in that sense. Absolutely not. But they... If I was AMD, though, I would want to be working with them to make this used by all games so that well, all games on PC get it. This though. is the thing, though. So Sony's... To write a game on, on, on a Sony machine, you still need to call Sony's API. So you've still got access to it. But I think the thing is, Sony have some of the best tools in the business. To, to be fair, I've, I've never used them directly or Xbox, but Xbox have gotten much better as well. And one of the things that makes consoles so much better than PC is the tools. Not only is the API more efficient, I'm saying this to, to death, I'm not going to go over it again, but the tools are better, which means you can you can debug quicker, you can find problems in bottlenecks quicker, you can get to solutions quicker, but also you can dive into their libs. So if you've got dedicated hardware in the PS5 Pro, and all it is is a few calls to an API or a different tweak mm. on your current embedded TAA you've got in your engine, because most of these things all use the same data sets, so they have motion vectors and they track them. So if, as long as you've got that data and TAA needs it, then all you're really doing is saying, grab that, use this hardware, loop around this call, and there you go, I've got much better image quality. Then you've got to do all your testing and validate it and make it work with you. Like, as you said, transparencies and textures and alphas and everything else and particles, all that good, good stuff. But that's, that's fine. But you could also just say that hardware is also there. So if you do want to use FSR2, then just the FSR2 call no longer goes just directly from a software solution, jump into our hardware, push it onto this dedicated block, and therefore you get much cheaper FSR2 using our hardware. That's also an option that they could go down. So whatever they're doing, they know it better than, than I mean, I'm just waffling crap, but they know what they're doing. So they're going to be thinking long-term in terms of what makes this solution work for us and potentially makes it easy for, for the developers. That's what they're aiming for. So they certainly aren't going to stop people using other solutions. In fact, the exo exact opposite. They want you to make easy transitions, mm. which is why they have GNMX on the PS4 and whatever they use now on PS5, to be able to just take a simple port, put it within a wrapper, and run a DirectX game on the PS5 under that wrapper. It's not as efficient. It will have a bit of a headway, a bit of CPU, memory, speed, all that kind of good stuff. But it means people can ship a game who don't have experience with Sony's API, and then later on when they get into HSL and start changing their GPU code, they can improve performance, release a patch. And that's what you've seen time and time again. You've seen mm. games that have come out and they've run a bit crap, and then six months later you think, geez, that game's now got a high resolution, it runs better. It doesn't always happen, but 
that's Sony's end game. They want to make it nice and comfortable for developers. And I think this, whatever they're working on is, is that. It's just to make it easy and transparent. It might not take off. I mean, let's be honest, Checkerboard was kind of hit and miss, but mm-hmm. it was used enough for it to pay for itself, if you know what I mean. Right. right. Well, that was my question, too. It's like, if you think, because I think it was clearly that checkerboarding on the PS4 Pro was like, we made it for this, it's for this, goodbye. But yes. then on the PS5, it's like, you know, or the PS5 Pro, would they go, well, this could be the basis of our upscaling for the next 10 years. And you're, you're saying they'll probably design what they think will be easiest and best to use now and just leave it open enough that they can innovate on it or go to the next big thing when it's better in the futures. I think what you're basically saying, right? Yeah, I, I always think it's best, as a, as a, as a technical program hardware guy myself, I think it's best when you give developers choice. So give them hardware that they can program. Hence why, you know, fixed, fixed pipeline GPUs didn't last that long. We went to pixel shaders and being able to control the hardware, that's better because then you get all these nice tasty solutions that people can write stuff around. So if you if you make dedicated blocks that do certain things, they can be very efficient. But if that's all they do, then when you're not using it, they're just idle hardware. I don't think Sony's in the market. Consoles can't get away with that. You can't just put a block on there that's that's taken up, I don't know, five percent of your of your die and hope that people use it. You need mm. it to be used all the time. So I think it's it's in their interest to make it easy to get at. And Sony tend to do that quite well. All right, so here's a random thought I had. I was actually going to be part of the video I put out on Friday, but it was already going to be like a 25-minute video, so I was like, no need to make this 30 or 40 minutes long. Um, I thought it would be perfect for this discussion. I kind of stumbled into this thought, you know, I, I, and I don't know this, but speaking with some people who I believe are very knowledgeable on this stuff, I'm like, I think the way they'll probably go for the PS5 Pro is not include the disk drive, which you can already buy now separately ahead of time if you want. And then try to sell for 500 to 550, depending on how cocky they're feeling. And then they'll say, you know, we saved you money. The disk drive's there. Heck, you could get a PS5 Slim, one disk drive, move it between rooms. Maybe you don't always need the disks in both rooms in your house. (laughs) But then I thought, you know, I don't believe there's like another version of Blu-ray coming, is there? Like, and the PlayStation 5 can support up to 100 gigabyte Blu-rays. I think that's going to be enough for games next gen even. I mean, yes, there will be... A 200 gigabyte game next gen. Maybe GTA 6 will be, who knows? But whatever, we already ship games on two discs as it is. I do not think there will be a 300 gigabyte game easily next gen, unless you're counting Call of Duty, which just has to install itself four different times. <laughs> like, you know, so I think Blu-ray in the current iteration is probably adequate for next gen. Okay, well, do you think there's a chance the PlayStation 6 doesn't have a Blu-ray drive included? But... It just you can slap on the same external drive that they're selling right now. That's something I stumbled into. Like, well, if they wouldn't, and I don't know this. Do not, I'm not leaking this. I don't know for sure if they'll include a disc drive on the PS5 Pro or not. But if they don't include a disc drive on the PS5 Pro and it can use the one sold separately, why would they not make it so the PS6 also doesn't come with one and can still use that same disc drive you may have already bought? It almost be like the iToy for whatever it was from PS4 to PS. PS, was it PS4 or PS5? Yeah, still working or something. Mm. Like, I'm wondering what you think about that. Do you think if they remove the disk drive on the PS5 Pro, but you can still buy a separate one, do you think that same separate one will also be the same thing for the PS6? Uh, I do. I do think that that is modular. The way it's designed, yes. It, it does limit them in terms of the 
the the what it looks like in shape but if you it comes with but maybe it just looks goofy back. and then they make a new version that matches it right but well, you could it, still use the old one yeah well it's not that they just need to design whatever the ps6 looks like or ps5 pro or whatever whatever it looks like it, it just needs to accommodate that because the way it works is you get the plastic cover at the bottom half so the mm-hmm. bottom half that you see on the outside is is bespoke to the ps5 but the, the actual Blu-ray inside is just a fixed unit that clips in, and then the, the black cover, the white cover goes on top of it. So they could just ship that exact same Blu-ray drive with a different plastic cover that's shaped for the new PS6 or PS5 Pro. Um, I do think they'll do that, absolutely. I think, But I think they'll still do the same thing. I think they'll do a digital and a, a physical, and, and the, the, the only difference between the two will be the one comes with the, the drive and one doesn't. That's it. That's that's mm-hmm. that, and because that's cheap from a manufacturing point of view, because it means they don't have to. That's the reason why two SKUs are a pain in the ass for for, for manufacturers. Because if you're making two SKUs and there's a difference in them, that's a whole different QC process you've got to go down. It's a whole different manufacturing yeah. pipeline. Well, you know this working in the car industry, so um, it's the same thing. So, but now they don't have that problem. They, they're just making PS5s that are all the same, and then there's there's a there's a factory chipping out Blu-ray drives. And then at some point in QC post, somebody connects the two together and puts them in a box and ships them out to retailers. That's it. So all they're going to do now is make the new PS5 Pro and none of them will come with a drive because they'll all be just modular. And that's perfect. That's exactly why they've done it, in my opinion. So everything they've designed to do is cutting cost. Again, it's all around efficiencies, economies of scale. They're cutting everything down on their delivery pipeline so the bomb's cheaper, but also they can pivot quicker because if they realize mm-hmm. that people aren't buying physical, they'll just stop making their drives. And they haven't lost anything. They've just got. Well, of- here's an interesting statistic, by the way, and this is going to be part of the part of the video that I cut. Is I looked at disc versus digital sales, and yes, and I'm sure everyone here, including you, Michael, has seen the headlines for the past decade: digital sales going up, disc sales going down. That was true. It's actually not true anymore. What's going on right now is the. It seems like I believe at least what PlayStation reports is that two thirds of game sales are digital. So you would go, well, that looks pretty bad for physical. Um, yeah, except it used to be seventy percent. It's actually gone up, and it seems to be if anything stagnating between thirty to forty percent of sales are staying physical. It's flatlined. It's not falling apart anymore, at least as of last quarter. And it's been like several quarters of a flatline. And so there just seems to be like, yes, most people, myself included, and I'm someone who has a lot of physical games, still likes the idea of physical games where it makes sense. Like, please give us that little bit of control. But I still, I mean, I just bought Helldivers 2 digitally, of course. I'm not, most of the games I buy, I still buy digitally at this point, but I still like the idea of getting physical. I almost wonder if like, Next gen, this is the perfect middle ground too for Sony to say, you say you guys still want physical, prove it. We're not going to include a disk drive on the PS6, but that disk drive we've been selling separately for years connects to the PS6. And if they see physical sales continue at at least 30%, they'll go, guess it's good we didn't remove the disk drive. Also, it gives you backwards compatibility to PS4. So I'm wondering, you know, what you think about that angle as well of like, this is a way to kind of play the field in the middle of removing physical or not based on the fact that actually physical sales are not going down anymore. They're basically staying the same versus digital, which I think is an interesting development. I think you bob on. I think that's exactly what they'll do. And that's what most companies do. That's the clever thing to do is is don't predict the market, just track it and react to it when it makes sense. And if Sony give... 
if Sony continue to give the choice, then no one can complain. If you want digital, go digital. If you want physical, go physical. You know, you obviously small studios won't be able to ship a game on the disc. But as you say, Hal Divers Two's got a physical disc. I got a review. I bought it as well. I tend to buy most games that I play because I like to support the developers, which is a cliche, but I do. But also, mm-hmm. I like to show that market that you know I like physical discs. I've always had physical stuff that's what i like so i think i uh, i can't add to what you said i think it's bang on i think i think that's exactly what they'll do i just hope that your trend continues and it does get back down to 60 percent digital 40 percent physical that'd be beautiful i know i know in the uk there's a lot of people that still buy games but as you quite rightly called out xbox is almost impossible to get now there's loads of games that i've been buying reviewing so i've got shed loads of xbox games and for the past year or so i've struggled to buy any xbox mm. games for my son i just can't get them just can't find them no one seems to have them well, and you know, I wonder where it would even have to be for Sony to remove physical completely on a generation because, like, if they were weighing, let's say there was some purple ray technology disc coming out, but it costs a hundred dollars to add that disc drive, I think that's where Sony would go. We don't want to add Purple Ray for $100 to the bomb cost on the next gen, but they don't need to. Blu-ray is stagnated. Games have actually pretty much stagnated to be between 30 to 80 gigabytes in size that fits on a single Blu-ray disc. Like This is the perfect excuse for them not to remove it because they don't need to do anything new. And I wonder if like even if like digital sales were 90%, if it would still make sense to remove physical because it'd almost be like just bad PR and... Just buy the disk drive separately, and I, I almost wonder like what percentage you would need to get to where it's finally worth removing physical. Because it sounds like Microsoft may do it sooner rather than later, but then again, it, no one's buying their games. Whereas with Sony, it's almost like it's almost like just good marketing to be able to say you can still own your games, right? Yeah, I, yeah, totally. Uh, and I think that the, the problem with the second hand market is most publishers don't like it because they have no control over it, so they lose money. And it means that their games get around multiple times from one sale, which they don't like. But I say tough. That's the way it is. It's always been that way, and it should be. Microsoft- I, I agree, and I and I say the higher digital sales get, the more that doesn't matter. If 90% yeah. of your sales are digital, why do you give a shit if 10% are being shared? You've won. Like, yeah. <laughs> Let them have the marketing that they can, can own it. It's, it's kind of like SLI or Crossfire support on motherboards. Most people weren't doing Crossfire, but they wanted to know their motherboard could do it. So they bought the motherboard with, like, let them have the disc. They're going to buy one game physically every gen. But what is that costing you at a macro level? Like 1% profits for peace of mind? Come on. Yeah, I, you never, I'm never going to go against having physical, and it's, it's one thing that I love, but at the end of the day, every penny counts. And the problem is that we live in a very consumer-driven world where it's it's quarter to quarter, it's profit to profit, it's increase on increase. So they they look for margins everywhere. And, and you quite rightly said, it, it's, it might only be three bucks on a, on a console every time, but three bucks adds up when you're shipping 10 million consoles in a year. So... That's the margins they look at, and that's why I don't want ever, I don't want physical to ever get to the point where it just says mm. it, it will be a pain for them. No matter when they do it, it will be a pain. When they announce that there's no physical disc, there'll be uproar. Of course, there will. But sometimes it's that situation where it's like it's a, it's a noise we can take. And as you said earlier with the AMD one, um, in in a hundred years time, who's going to care? In next week, no one's going to remember. No one's going to move on. So I hope that day never comes. But I do think that. Sony will stick with physical longer 
I think mm. Xbox's new hardware this year will be that digital one we, we saw leaked with the leaks that came out. I think you I think mean, that's what they're going to announce this fall that yeah, they kind of hinted yeah, at, at the show. Yeah, I, I think like, it'll be a fully digital Series X. Yeah. Um. All right. Moving on to another hardware question here. Um. It's another one of these things. This isn't a leak. This is just a, a thing I've been thinking about. Um. Tex Hooper nine writes in and he says, if the PS five pro is on for an animator, can we expect a cut down version of these chips to make a super slim PS five? Well, I'm going to jump in. No, <laughs> uh, but they would, they'll use six nanometer. I think for the PS five slim, they're not going to cut down the four nanometer chip to make non PS five pros, but it did get me thinking. I've been told that there's this work on a PS PlayStation handheld. We'll see if it ever comes out, but I was under the impression this would be like some kind of like either a half PS6. Like this is Sony's Series S version of the PS6 that happens to be a handheld, something like that. And then I was thinking, well, maybe it's like some half PS5. But then I thought about it like, am I, cra- am I crazy here? Like Rembrandt APUs are like what, like 206 or like between 200 to 15, I think, millimeters squared APUs. Mm. Those can already run 15 watts at that die size. If Sony is going to use one of the latest nodes in you know, 2027, 2028, when they launched the PS6, you'd think it'd be a smaller die than this previous gen because the node's so expensive. So you'd think they'd do three, two nanometer, probably three nanometer because they'll want the cheaper node that has more capacity. A 200 millimeter squared, three nanometer die could run at 15 watts, especially a cut down version. And while it hasn't really made sense in the past, I'm wondering what you think about the idea of like, yes, they could design, I don't know, again, I'm just throwing numbers out, people. A 128 compute unit, RDNA 6 or whatever, PS6, and then make a half die that's like a 64 compute unit one that can run full back pat, and then it can run PS6 games with the same technology at like a much lower resolution. They could do it that way. Two different dies, but from what I've been told, like hard designing, finishing, validating qualifying any piece of silicon takes like tens of millions of dollars at this Mm. point just one die takes that so whenever you see intel design 20 versions of the same chip you got to know they spent like 10 million per chip even making it exist before it's sold or would it make more sense for sony then to just make one make the main die slightly smaller than usual use the latest node and then instead of doing this thing they've always done where they disable it by like 10 percent so they can get as many yields as possible what if the main console just wasn't disabled. They took 20% of the yields, disabled it by like 25%, clocked it lower, and that was used for the handle. We already have 200 millimeter squared chips that run a, as handhelds at 15 watts on three nanometer, disa- partially disabled. Would that not make more sense to do that for the handheld than to design two separate AMD APUs this time around. Because there are a lot, there's been plenty of consoles in the past. The Xbox Series S is 200 millimeter squared. That could be a handheld if they designed it differently. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. It, there's no point in making brand new, the fundamentals is they want it to be compatible with the PS5 or PS6. Therefore, why make new hardware for the sake of making new hardware? The thing is about mobile technology is mobile technology has always been pretty powerful anyway. It's the battery that's the problem. The, the problem with mobile tech is, as you say, it needs to be as small as possible. It needs to use very low-power low memory and low-power SSD state. And it, for the love of God, it needs to draw as little power as possible. So all those things, that's why Sony struggle with their DualSense because they're, they're, 
their control is great, but it sucks loads of power, which is why they always go flat. And the Pro, which oh. it, it it it's terrible in terms of power. It, it get and it gets worse over time. So I think Sony's biggest problem is going to be power. And also, again, as you alluded to over the digital. When they launched their their handheld earlier this year, was it this year? No, last year. Sorry, I don't. know. It was within the past. Yeah, six it was last year. Though, I think that, for me, that's why they launched that. They wanted to see what the market was like and the uptake on that, and it's kind of died. So I know people want the next PS feed. So people want the next PSP, and the PSP was bloody amazing. Um, but I don't know. I just I'm sure they're working on it. I just don't think they've got both feet in that field i think they're just you don't think they're 100 percent sure they'll launch it yet is no. what you're saying it, it, i'm sure they've got something in the works i'm sure exactly everything you said around using this the same node on a much smaller 200 nanometer absolutely makes perfect sense to me and that is that would be logical i just outside of the of of the chinese market and that market where it would make a lot more sense or japanese yeah japanese market i think it makes perfect sense there i think that's where they could launch it and they used to do that you know they've had many things which launch you know different parts of the world and may or may not come to the uk or may not come to the us so that could be an option but i think it all really matters on can they get it to work and can they get battery life good enough because when you've only got i mean the steam deck's great i love my steam deck but jesus christ when you're playing a big game it doesn't last long It'll it'll die out quickly. So well, I haven't thought about the controller thing, but um, what I would suspect is they'll just have you know they'll have on paper, and I stress this, on paper feature parity with the Dual Sense, but it will be really dumbed down. The vibration will be weaker. The like all, everything they can do to make it use like a fourth the energy, you know, and they yeah. might even have a toggle to turn half of it off if you want to save more energy. I would imagine. Well, they have that now in the PS5 OS, so you know you can well, do that now. So absolutely. Again, it's, it all points to the fact that they've thought about these things, but. Batteries cost. Batteries are are the biggest headache for a lot of manufacturers. Um, That's why Nintendo did a cracking job with Switch. Well, let me throw this at you, though, because I think the one thing, too, that makes this idea of them, instead of designing two dies where there's an opportunity cost they could have there, having one die and they just disable the bad yields into the handheld version and clock it way lower. The beauty of that idea as well is that if it doesn't sell well, we were just getting rid of 10% of the bad yields or something, right? It's not like we actually were doing anything that would cost... I mean, there's the launch cost and all of that. But it's not like the Vita where they had to like launch a new version of the PlayStation Store. You know what I mean? I'd say that's the beauty of this idea is if it fails, there's the minimum hit financially for it failing. And at a minimum, it will always work. It's not like the Vita where like, I don't know, we got to support this version of PSN and this version of an OS for how long now? With a handheld PlayStation 6, they can go, it's just the same basic OS. So we could stop making them a year after it comes out and it would still be a cool collector's item that to this day can run PS5 games. That, that's what I think would be the the big benefits of like literally just making it a cut down PS6 die is there's none of these issues they had with the Vita would apply really anymore, right? No, no, absolutely, and, and it's not as if they haven't got previews on this because they've done this multiple times. You know, they they they, they launched the, the PlayStation TV, didn't they? Which was just a PS Vita um, streaming box that you could play games on and just plug it into your TV, and then they just discontinued that. And, and Sony regularly do this, and even the PS Portal that's got hardware in it, hasn't it? That's got a, 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 I can't remember what it's got it in. It's got a, a, a mobile chip that 
it could run games. The PS Portal currently streams, but it has enough hardware to run very simple mobile games on it. So it could be used and may be used for that. So, but they could abandon that as well. And let's be honest, that's mm-hmm. a three hundred pound device with a pretty nice eight inch. Is it? It is. It's an LCD. It's not OLED. It's LCD. Um, and it's it's got all the DualSense features. So they didn't build that just for a a test of we can make a unit with a screen attached to it. They built that, as you quite rightly allude to, with a, is there a route to market to extend our mm-hmm. PlayStation? Is there market? interest in yeah. this? Yeah. So I think you I think you, you bob on. They, they could happily just downclock, reduce, and ship something that has the same form factor as that PlayStation Portal, except it has a slightly bigger back, it's slightly heavier, maybe have an OLED to claw back some of that power because it takes a lot, a lot less power, which will save a bit versus the LCD, and therefore you've got a pretty decent device with a pretty decent lifespan. But I would expect it wouldn't be anywhere near the the Nintendo Switch's lifespan, which is incredible. But I don't... But again, it has the same lifespan as the PS6. That's the beauty. They could cancel it the next yes. day. Unlike the Vita, it will still work. You know uh, Exactly. And, and like you say, they could stop selling it. They could just say, we're discontinuing sales of it. It hasn't sold wide enough. But- <laughs> yeah, we're doing a limited edition run. If yeah. it sells well, maybe we'll keep making it. Maybe not. Maybe we yeah. just want to try it out. Yeah. Yeah, it's and, fun to think of it that way. Yeah, no, it's good. I think it's a very good idea. And I'll be, dude, I'll that be, would make everyone buy it though, because then everyone would think they're buying a collector's item. So, <laughs> at a minimum, if I was in the room, I would say at least sell it this way at first, Sony, because this will get <laughs> yeah. everyone to buy it. Um, and then say, oh, we're doing the second run again. We don't know if we're ever going to do a third. You better get it if you want it. They, they've got a launch um, one in the PlayStation One Gray. It sell out within a minute. Oh yeah. So let me then skip ahead to this question, because if I didn't touch on this, I'd be very sad. So it's just, you know, a very um, pretty blanket thought thrown at you. How do you think RDNA 4 from AMD versus NVIDIA Blackwell is going to pan out? Like, how do you see, I'm sure you've seen the rumors Mm. that AMD is kind of doing a 5700 XT RDNA 1 strategy again this gen and that nvidia is going for from what i hear a mix actually of three and four nanometer stuff and they're you know the top ones are gonna be expensive <laughs> you know but they will be really powerful from what i'm hearing and efficient mm-hmm. like how, how do you think this is going to pan out at the end of this year with like a 5090 launch 5070 launch next year and navi 48 launching this probably either between late summer and the holiday season i believe well, I think AMD know that they're beaten, don't they? they? At the end of the day, they can't get close enough to NVIDIA. They can't reach that level of performance. Therefore, they're going after the market they can, which is can we hoover up the 4080-49 market for 30% cheaper, 40% cheaper than them? So they are going to try and push all the weaknesses they've got on their current RDNA card, which is it, it still is lacking in ray tracing so they need to improve that it's still lacking in their fsr solution although fsr3 i think is very very good in in fact Mm -hmm. in terms of what they've delivered so i i I think they're close to be able to deliver something at that level but i think they're going after the mainstream and they're just giving up the top end and i think nvidia is just going to go mad and just really show off with this new top end machine i think i think their new gpu will be all in on machine learning, AI, ray tracing, and they will have path trace modern games. It, I think it's clear where their focus is on in terms of how, the, how hard they're pushing RTX Remix, how hard they're pushing that into older games. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out that if they could get anywhere near their level of leap from last time into this one, they could potentially get to a point of having a game that 
came out. Look, Red Dead Redemption, for example, they could probably get Red Dead Redemption level of visuals uh, running with full path tracing. That would that would be a game changer. So I think that's where they're going to go in terms of their push. And NVIDIA are, are getting more and more involved in studios. They're heavily involved in what with Cyberpunk, heavily involved with Alan Wake 2. Yeah, making sure people use their technology. And yeah. it's not ignored. And I'm hearing that they're, they're, they've got a lot of people out in studios. So they're, they're getting themselves embedded and saying, they're doing a Sony. They're going, what do you want? What, what would you need? What could you deliver? And, no, and then, I've heard the same thing. I won't say which studios, but I've heard some studios saying like, NVIDIA is just bankrolling part of our game. <laughs> like they just straight up are bankrolling part of our game. I've heard people say that. Yeah, and and like it or lump it, you know, I, I I don't like a lot of NVIDIA's practices, but you can't fault their hardware. It is exceptional. And no matter what AMD do, and, they, and they've, they've got very close, they're not bad. They're just not as good as NVIDIA. And and I think that's that's largely down to the software engineers NVIDIA have, as well as their hardware engineers. People talk about mm-hmm. the hardware a lot, but NVIDIA's RTX suite of, of tools is not just hardware. It's very, very good software. And their APIs and drivers are amazing, but you know that anyway. So, yeah. Well, you know, and something that um, has come up on the show a lot with me and Dan talking is... There's multiple reasons for why they would cancel high-end RDNA 4. It wasn't just high-end. It was like this 13 or something chiplet monstrosity that would have cost $2,000 and been a complete monster. But the problem with that is, is all that engineering work. I mean, 13 chip, it can be an expensive thing to design and get mm. validated. All of that could be used to make Strix Halo, Strix, all these APUs they got coming out, a PS5 Pro over here, a new CPU over there. Like all of these resources could be used to make like four other projects or this one chip. They're going to want to do the four other products right now, especially when Intel's floundering in laptop. Like this is the time to go for it. Um, and then at the same time, though, I think AMD realized that if we're going to launch something to compete with the 5090 directly, like even if it was stronger, will people buy it? For more, like, will they pay two thousand dollars for ours if Nvidia's is eighteen hundred? Because we have to charge more, cost more to make. If DLSS is still better, and I wonder, I almost wonder if like a part of the strategy of RDNA four also is we need to focus on the mid range because we need to buy time to catch up to DLSS because no one's going to buy a two thousand dollar Radeon card unless they feel our software is as good. Whether it's fair or not, whether some people could argue it's as good or not, the perception is not that it is. And I think AMD realizes that they need to feel like they have the best of everything or no one's going to pay the highest price for their crazy chiplet GPU, right? Mm. Yeah, well, exactly. And AMD have always been the cheaper version with almost, you know, 70%, 80% of the performance, whatever. The, the fact is, though, that GPUs just haven't been selling. It's not just NVIDIA that have lost out this this. It's a good point, too. Yeah. So they need money they need revenue and they need well, radeon to- sales are up re- apparently over oh, last right. gen oh, okay oh yeah but i don't think it's like they're selling twice as many and even if radeon sales are up i mean you know what are you going to make more money from though still making ai chips or you mm-hmm. know i think the mining boom happened amd nvidia bought up all of samsung's capacity for ampere to sell to miners and they picked the right time to do it and I think there is an argument to be made right now, like a dumb bet would be dedicated GPU versus a lot of other markets right now. Like, And that would be another reason to not go for a $2,000 graphics card is if you look at sales, AMD sales are up 
but the 4080 didn't sell well. I mean, I think people are a little tired of expensive graphics cards right now, too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, realistically, you can't... There's not... I don't know of anything, apart from DLSS 3, that you you can't run on a 30-series card that you can run on a 40-series card. All right. Well, I know you got to get quality, low resolution, but you're not, you you can't, you can still run past trace games. You can still run all these RTX Remix games on on older GPUs. And that's, that's fundamentally their problem. They've got no USP bar DLSS three, which has, so I know you've got to go in five minutes. So I just want to ask one more question, you know, just make sure we get it in. And it's a question I can't believe I forgot to ask sooner. Like, We've talked about, it sounds like you think RDNA 4 will do fine, but it's targeting the mid-range for a good reason. I'm skipping over some reader mails, but I think you would agree with me. NVIDIA is going to go all out with the 5090, I think. I think they're going to want it when they have the performance crown the most that they've had since, I mean, for five, six, eight years. (laughs) You know, like if AMD doesn't go for the high end, this is going to be the highest lead they have. They're going to want to like make it the highest lead to make a statement. So I think the 5090 is going to be higher yield rates a higher a higher enabled percentage than the 4090 was is my guess but moving back to the console side of things how do you believe i do believe microsoft will have another generation i think we know sony's just going to keep on trucking they're going to have some new features they're probably going to bet on ai hard with the ps6 it's going to be another five to six hundred dollar box that is better than the previous one and has exclusives i don't think there's much to discuss there how do you think Microsoft needs to launch and, pre- and market their next gen to be competitive? Like, when should it come out? Should they go for more expensive as a showcase of Game Pass, as they were kind of alluding to, I almost wonder? Or do you think they need to be- launch like a year before Sony at $400? And like, what can they do to make Microsoft or to make Xbox get back on track? For me, Xbox need to launch something. They need to do a 360. They need to come out sooner. They need to launch with a fully stacked software suite, so the full stack, with proper DX12 ray tracing support. And they need to embed that in a lot of games. So they need to get in bed with developers quickly and come out with a stack of games that you couldn't see on PlayStation 5. That's what they need to do. Because realistically, I don't care what anyone says, big splashy launches of consoles have always been about great graphics and leaps in in generations. So if they could come out with something a year before or nine months before Sony, and instantly they're coming out showing stuff like Cyberpunk, but better on a console, running at 60 FPS. with Yes, sure, Sony had the best version of GTA 6, but now we do, a year before they do, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that will turn heads and it will me it will make people jump ship and if if they capitalize on that then that that's where they could make sense out of all of the studios they've bought all the publishing houses they now own they could then get all those teams behind that and push things to drive people to come to xbox get on game pass and then use that to push their market further forward that's what i think they should do do i think they'll do it no i just i i don't my problem with, with Xbox is I don't think they give the right people the, the ability to push forward. I mean, I've heard that the, the, the old Xbox hardware guy's gone. So the, someone mm-hmm. else is in charge now. Um, I, I doesn't mean it's bad or good. I don't know. But that means that they are changing something. Is that a change for the better? Is that somebody pushing forward on making sure that it does something 
different and stands out from the crowd or is it just somebody who's cheaper and easier and is just going to toe the line? I don't know. So it all depends on what their focus is. But if, if, if we look at the Game Pass focus, that isn't about top-of-the-range hardware. It's about bums on seats and hence why the Series S exists. I mean, they, they, they'd sell it on your phone if they could. So that, that's my only they concern. They probably will. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's my concern is, is they could do it, but will they do it? Who knows? A handheld would make a lot of sense for xbox yeah if they did a switch a steam deck style device with a very tight and controlled windows package that allowed you to install whatever you wanted on it but still run game pass within it do you know what that 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 could turn a lot of heads you know emulation and retro stuff is big you've got a handheld device that's very powerful that can emulate arcades old consoles everything else you've got a market there that people will buy and they might just subscribe, but you'll certainly sell units. That's what I think they should be going after, that market. They shouldn't be competing with Sony's market. They're never going to compete with Sony. They've, they've tried and they've lost. They're no, that's becoming abundantly clear. Yeah. Um, I'm curious what you think about this, though. Do you think that they should almost, because I don't know what their studios are doing, but like, do you think they should almost, if they are working on games that will actually come out, do you think they should almost hold those for the launch of the next gen? Like, because something is happening here with momentum with the Series X and S, where just no one's buying them, no one's buying games. I almost wonder if they should like take a step back, hold all of their game, plan the next gen now, rapidly design and launch it quicker as quicker than they ever have, which is possible. They could, if even if they just started a month ago, they could get this out in two or three years if they wanted to, and just have all of these games come out on Game Pass day one and be like, here, there's 10 AAA games on Game Pass. They run best on the Xbox because I almost think they need to start over as soon as possible. And I almost wonder what the point is in launching some of these games right now where just something has, the air has left the balloon and if they should just save some of it for the launch of the next gen. Or if you think they should just be rapidly pushing everything they can no matter what. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that is all they should do. No, I I agree with you. They should do that. They should literally pick some really good games and hold them back and make them great on the next generation and launch strong. If you have a strong launch that turns people's heads, people will remember that console and they'll buy it. That's it. Simple as. And that's what Sony have always been good at. In fact, this was probably the first one where I don't think they had a game that really blew my socks off. I think I think it was Demon Souls. That was probably Demon the biggest Souls one. Really, was by far and away the best one. But it wasn't. It wasn't something that like the bouncer on PS2 was one. I remember seeing that when it when it was getting demoed, and it wasn't even a Sony game. But that game was bonkers at the time on the PlayStation 2. And that is what Microsoft need. They need a game, or at least a couple of games, that do that. Um, Battlefield. Yeah, and they didn't, have, they didn't have Halo at launch either for the Series X, did they? So no, that's no, really it. what they needed. Yeah, yeah, and that cost them big. And, and that game didn't, you know... So they've got, they certainly can't, cannot excuse the fact they, they haven't got studios to do that. They've got a stack of studios. I mean, they've got id Tech, for God's sake. id Tech are a technical powerhouse. They still are. You've got Tiago Souza in there. You've got loads of people that are very experienced and know, know this industry and certainly know how to push bleeding edge visuals. And if you can't get them to push something on new hardware that makes people's eyeballs pop out of their head, I mean, they're running Doom Eternal at, at 240 FPS with ray tracing. It's mad. So you've got, they've got one of the best technical studios in the business. Why are they not getting them to do something? Maybe they are. And, and uh, so Xbox are not lacking the skill. They're lacking the motivation, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So that, that's oh, yeah, I couldn't yeah. agree more. Yeah. So if they find that motivation, 
That is what was we'll, that's it's do you have the heart, you know, is are you in it to win it? Yes. Um that's what it's gonna that's what they're gonna have to prove. Um all right. Well, you gave me a little more time than you even said you would, like you always do. You're always so generous with that. And I really want to thank you for coming on. Please plug your channel, tell people where they can find you. Uh, uh, Tom, thank you for having me on, mate. I'm, I'm sorry that it's Tom. I, I am running short on time, so apologies. But thank you very much for having oh, me Oh, I again. need to go to the bathroom, so it's fine. Don't there worry. you go. We're even <laughs> then. Um, happy that uh, we had a chat. Um, yeah, my channel is NX Gamer, so you can find me on YouTube. And obviously, I also am the IGN performance review guy. So if you if you don't look at my channel, look at IGN. And then when you see that you like my stuff, go and subscribe to my channel because it really helps. And, uh, thanks and for just having. flood the IGN comments with NX Gamer is the best member of IGN. <laughs> every single article I Imagine that would help. So do that for him as well. Just, just, um, yeah. the, the, to be fair, they're a good bunch of IGN. And what, the one thing I really uh, I'm like, not very tongue in cheek, not trying no, no, to. No, 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 no. I like a bit of banter. It's good. No, the, the, the thing about IGN is that I see this a lot online when people talk about IGN. It's like IGN gave this. It's like we're not a hive mind. It's individuals reviewing a game. If people came to miss that point, just go, IGN gave it a seven. It's like, no, a person who reviewed the game gave it a seven. Somebody else in IGN might have thought it was a 10. That's just the way it works. Not everyone can review everything. So I think IGN gets a lot of rap because they're, they're very popular. But to be fair, I've always liked working with them in the past few years. It's been good. And I've, I've got access to a lot more stuff working with them, which has been even better. Well, you know, whether or not you like IGN, and I don't dislike IGN, uh, I wouldn't say I have a strong opinion either way. But I would say when I saw you were being integrated into their content, I was like, I, honestly, I was like, this is amazing. It's about time someone who does real hardware analysis was promoted by one of these websites and actually got to show in a mainstream setting how you do this. So I, I was very happy to see you get that. But so check out NX Gamer, check out NX Gamer on IGN. Remember, you know, like this video, comment below. I'm sure, I'm sure there will be no arguments about anything we said in the comments <laughs> below. There never is. And uh, that cer I certainly would hate it if you all argued with me in the comments in and therefore promoted the algorithm. That'd be terrible for me. Please definitely don't argue with me in the comments and promote the video three times. Um, and then also, you know, if you do like us, uh, subscribe to Moore's Law Zed on YouTube, support us on Patreon to ask us questions and get bonus content. And uh, subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice and give us a review. And uh, I will stop rambling and say thank you, everybody, no matter what, though, for watching and for listening. And have a good week, everybody. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, it's not just me. Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, renders being done by the industrial designer Jean-Philippe Clermont, and special assistance is also provided by Carmen Cry and Kerry Nosugad as well. Find all of our information at www.moreslawisdead.com on the about slash support page in the event you do want to hire me for consulting work, hire Gerard for audio work, hire Jean-Philippe for industrial design work, or you're interested in working with Carbon Cry or Kerry No Sugata as well. You can also find our long-term sponsors on that page if you want to show them some love for putting food on our tables. Or you can also mail us some love. You can send letters or hardware donations to the following address. Moore's Law is Dead, P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. 
Although, to be honest, the best way to show Moore's Law's dead some love is to support us on Patreon. Patrons are what makes Moore's Law's dead content truly possible. Every month and really every day, depending on who you're talking about, me, Gerard, Dan, and John Philippe are working tirelessly to provide a steady stream of content that we could not keep doing unless we knew the work was possible without being reliant on sponsors dictating every little thing we put out. Don't get us wrong. We love our sponsors, but we love directly working for you, our fans, much more. If you have any extra money, even a couple free dollars a month, consider supporting us directly on Patreon. Those couple of monthly dollars will get you access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to ask guests questions, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord full of like-minded people who I am sure would love to meet you. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to early, ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the ability to ask questions in all Broken Silicon episodes and loose ends live streams ahead of the recording, and the entire back catalog of Moore's Law is Dead podcasts, in addition to having thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts depending on the tier with other perks available as well. And hey... If you cannot afford to support us directly every month, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family and on social media and websites like Reddit. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast app of choice. All of this does really help us so much. But like I said, this podcast would not be possible without it. the patrons directly providing predictable and reliable support every month. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher supported levels. Brad Medlin, Drita Full, Z Jits, Daniel D, Aaron Close, Jan Rano, Daniel High, GZ Ziggy, Brian Riggleman, MJB1, Deke, Nicholas Buckner, Destinius Chalmers, Jan Ferreira, Vulcan Jensen Wang, Hardforum.com, Gregory S. Acker, Andrew S. Sarcastro, Evan Dingle, Chris Rich, Compress Earthbox, Rita S. Boy Wait, Albuma, Greg Wanchek, Shredbird, Dr. Forbin, Benjamin Cannon, Jonathan, Holden Mobley, Blake, Franco Frederick, Sammy Malas, Jake223, Jake Martin, Jordan Simkovic, Silky, Julian Leak, The Boss Haas, Stefan Hart, Meat and Porks, Tim Robb, Ian Clifford, Travis Gooding, Stefan, Toka, Mad, Zoot Suit Taylor, Stefan Coates, Michael McGee, Greg, Patrick Grow, Amiable Chief, Chrysantine, Tommy, Mark Mitchell, Ijan, Mark Ravier, the Eternal Dreamers, James Anderson, Cole Attic, Johnson N, Neithra Zink, Cameron, Wesley Sazer, Henry Zhang, Michelle Pell, D31337 Antics, Hexa Puma, Reginald Ari, Teak Autumn, Game and Sense Reagan, Jeff Sedler, Loophole 35, JSMMH, Winstar, James I. Raider, Corey Leonard, Little Germany, Shay, Milton, Pulse Media, Jamie Witters, Dave Schultz, Melodic Warrior, McDaffy, Stephen Dick, Chuck Glidden, Brett Jones, Austin Haggerty, Justin Bustle, I-711-700K, Jofit, Hardland, Earth Taurus, Slushbot, Jainson, M. Ginga, Joseph Kelly, Samuel Park, Himsa Gung, Tails2299, Mealval, Verga, John Sisyphos, Dale Russell, The Forbidden Juice, Perleaksman, Winwang, Arby Racer, AC, Michael Cozy, Dr. J. Mad. Alex Vega, Freedy, Brian Wright, John Swin, Angel of Cake, Jola Martina, Kikum, Albert Gunn, Solarize 80, Matthew Marlowe, Raisin Biscuit, Jeff Johnson, Penta Winta, Rowan McKee, Cornster671, Sprutnik, Jeffrey Jenneman, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music, and thank you for forgiving me for my brain just pausing for a second there for no reason. <laughs> <laughs>